0: Rugby! 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 Hey, do you like rugby, young boy? You know what? I've been trying to convince myself that I should like rugby for a long time. And Young boy, do you like rugby? I was just speaking. Why would you interrupt me? Young boy, do you like rugby? I'm trying to like it by watching every game of the World Cup ever is what I was trying to explain. Right! Right. So I, I watched all of the 2011 uh, yes. games in that w- Rugby World Cup, having never watched rugby before. That, yes, you are a very young boy. I'm a very young boy. One day I will be old, but right now I am very young. You're very um, young. Unless I age backwards, which might not happen. Spectacularly happy. young. I'm very young. Like We'll, we'll, we'll come on to how young yes. in a bit. But then I watched uh, the 1987 Rugby World Cup, which I didn't watch live because I'm very young. You're 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 basically toddling. I'm I'm young. Yes. And then, then we watch. now we're watching the 2007 Rugby World Cup, which I also didn't watch live because I'm very young. You are extraordinarily young. Yeah. And I'd like to congratulate you on that. You've done a really excellent job being so young. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Suede once wrote a song called So Young about yes. me. That's They named uh, an England scrum half after you. Yes. yes. Yeah. And uh, a Cardiff head coach after me. Yes, but yeah. not the first one. John part. Mulverhill. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Jack Van Portfleet. They named them both after you. They did. They did. They're yeah. both named after me because I'm so young. Yes. You you are, and you're often driving a van through Portfleet on your way over the Mulverhill. I also just realised, when you made that, that joke a minute ago, the, the scrum off who came to mind was not Ben Young's, but in fact Mickey Young. <laughs> Same guy. Yeah. Same guy. I was thinking, oh yeah, scrum off called Young. Yes, Mickey Young. Yeah like vintage player who would be a Saxon nowadays. Yeah. We are missing the England Saxons because there's so many Yorso Club players that could I know, be England Saxons. I know. And who, out who'd on be it. on your team sheet for England Saxons? Oh, Perry, Perry Humphries would be like Dave a Uwes. legend of the Yorso yeah, Club. Yeah, yeah. Like the Saxons sending off. Yeah, yeah. There's, there, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. But yeah, it's a real shame that Dave Ewers is now making himself ineligible for when they inevitably bring it back next year. Yeah, it's really, really disappointing, I think. This is the thing, like, Ollie Hassle-Collins should have had to establish himself on the Hassaxon scene before making the step up, like Mike Brown did before him, and, like, so many other, so many other back free options. I wouldn't remember them, because I'm so young. You're so young, you're so young, and I'd like to welcome those of you who are not so young, and those of you who are, to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective, the rugby podcast that is, as the young boy with me so accurately described... Going over every Rugby World Cup match ever played for some goddamn (laughs) reason. All of them, including Ireland versus Namibia from 2007. That's included. Now we'll we'll get we'll get we'll get onto this. Who are you first? I'm. I think when I grow up, I'm going to be Will Owen. Who are you second? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. That was a high five. That was a terrible <laughs> that was high, the worst five. high five. That's on you. That was Rob Howley esque. Yeah, it was five. That was pretty bad. I was Sean Edwards in that situation. You were Rob Howley. Yeah, it um, was. It was terrible. Pretty, pretty, really pretty poor. Who am I second? Well, I've said that when I grow up, I will be Willow, and that's who I'll be second. Mm. And I'm or Rob, you're going to call me. Yeah, mm-hmm. you've alternated this time. You've, you've yeah. You've, sometimes I get it wrong. The old switcheroo. And today we are joined by no guest. Oh, we've just baited the listener there. Look, when you said today we're joined by, they went, hang on a second, let me pause this, let me guess. I can't guess, then pulled it out of their pocket. Quiet guest. Very quiet guest as we do shtick. And today we are here for the most exciting reason anyone has ever been anywhere, which is to talk about Ireland's 32-17 win over Namibia. In the 2007 Rugby World Cup. I love it's, plot twists. Here's That's the thing. That's why we're here. It's one of those one of those games that you see the score and you go, oh, God. Yeah. And then actually when I was watching it, I was like, actually, this is one of the most Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective games I've ever watched. Yeah, it certainly is. Like, I watched the first half of this game thinking, like, well, yeah, it's this game, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's this game that happens in a World Cup all the time. And you realise quite often it happens when you do a podcast where you talk about every yes. single fucking game ever to have happened. when. You've all listened to... Well, some of you will have listened to a lot of uh, episodes where it's a Tier 1 nation playing against a less developed rugby nation Mm. and putting a lot of points on them. Yeah. Uh, And we talk a lot about the tries that happened from that team. And I was like, oh, okay, it's this game. But actually, you get to the second half, there's a little bit more to it, which is exciting. New Ireland won this by... You know, they scored 30-odd points. I knew Mm. it wasn't a massive battering, but I figured it was going to be them from the way the first half goes. They score quite a lot in the first half, then the second half they're off the money. And it's kind of them knocking it on on the try line type deal. That's what I was expecting. But to say it becomes far more plot twisty and exciting as it goes on. Yeah. I think this is. In terms of discoveries of games, this is one I really wish I could have watched live. This would have been an amazing game to watch live, I think. Yes. Like, it's got massive, massive, like, the energy. There's a few games we talk talked about in this podcast. It's some including Namibia themselves, but often including other tier two nations who really gave them a game. Like, yeah. the, when we get to France, USA from the last World Cup, right? We'll pro, and there's a lot of people listening, probably forgotten that game already. Mm. A lot of people listening or that watched that game at the time probably went, mm, whatever. But there was a myth mi- or forgotten about it. You kind of remember France won it in the end; they got the bonus yeah. point. But there was a moment—there was a moment around fifty odd minutes where it looked like the comeback might be on. Yeah, it looked yeah. like the USA might be about to do it. And McGinty kicks a penalty, and France a player down. And you're like, "Hold on, this is happening. This could be happening. This yeah. is like they could really push them here." And it doesn't. Yeah. But there's that thrill of watching it live that this game could have had if we'd been going in having no idea what the score was. Like it makes you wonder when we eventually cover 2019. That Australia-Georgia game, for Mm. example, Mm. will we look at that and go like, oh, that's quite a shit game, actually, because not a lot happens in it? Whereas, actually, you think about if you watch this live, it's really, really good. Yeah, And I think there was one thing that we'll obviously talk about this later on, but like in the commentary, I wished that they talked about the Namibian players and what they were doing well to frustrate Ireland a little bit more. Because I think... There's, there's several ways to watch a Rugby World Cup and I think the one that we've always adopted and this is no better or worse than any other way to consume the Rugby World Cup because if you love rugby you love rugby that's all that matters sure, yeah. but the way that we've always cho- chosen to consume the World Cup is we will focus on every single player from mm. every single team and like obsess over them and yeah. everything that they do every team has fought and scrapped as hard as they can to get mm. there yeah. right even if there's a country like New Zealand or like Ireland in this case who've never really had to go through qualifying yeah. right those players have had to scrap incredibly hard of their entire lives to get into this team to compete at the World Cup Yeah. whereas Namibia have had to do that and then do it as a team in order to reach it and we'll get into the qualifying campaigns later but it's yeah it's huge for them and this is the pinnacle of rugby yeah. you know yeah. and Murray Mexted says on commentary he says a lot of really stupid things yeah. one thing he does say is for, no, for Namibia this is their World Cup final hmm And that is it. Like, this is the biggest occasion I'll ever have. And there's a point in this game where they are only 10 points behind. And it's deep into the second half. And Ireland are making errors on their own half. And suddenly you start to go, if you're a Namibian, you're going, hold, this is it. Mm. This is our big day. This is a day we've dreamt of and worked for our entire lives. We said the same thing about Wales last week. So I'm not just saying this is that, oh, the Squidge brand hates Ireland. (laughs) But like, there is something great at a World Cup about seeing the tier one nation in that point panic. Yes, as Wales against Canada. It was great to see that Yeah, because Canada had done such a great job of forcing Wales into a position where they were the worst team on the field. Maybe a 10 minute, 20 minute stretch. Well, it's more than that for the Wales one. For Ireland here, it's maybe a 10 minute stretch we're talking about when Namibia are all all over them. And I love those moments of World Cups. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's the kind of, that's a lot of the draw for the World Cup is games like this. Yeah. Like this to me is as exciting as the knockouts when it gets really tight. Like it's the tier two nation. It's the the players knowing this is the biggest game they'll ever have, really standing up, it's and putting going themselves for it. on the map, isn't it? Yeah, and you get players that like lose a semi final or whatever mm-hmm. in the World Cup, then go on and win a Heineken hey, Cup or something. Or... Lots of Irish players have lost quarterfinals. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly, and so many of those Irish players that you know get knocked out in the pools, spoilers <laughs> here in this World Cup, go on to either win a Heineken Cup with Munster the following year or with Leinster yeah. a couple of years later or they go on to uh, get battered in a final for Ulster a couple of years after that. Yeah, a couple but of them won Lions Tours yeah, uh, series these, again, in Australia. A like. lot of these Tier 1 players get other highlights for their career. Yeah. Like, this isn't the be-all and end-all. Yeah. Whereas if you're a Namibian, other than Jacques Berger in this team, right, All of none of this team go on to have, like, glittering club careers. So some of them, like Hugo Horn goes on to play for Namibia for a long time, Eugene Yankees, yes. etc. There's quite a few of those, and there's a few, like Jacques Hazer and... Like, like Nico Esterhazy. Nico Esterhazy. Yeah. yeah, no, is it? There's a few of them that go okay. on to play, like, professional rugby in France or England. Yeah. Or, a lot okay. of them in South Africa yeah. as well. Johnny Redlin Hayes, you know. Mm. Johannes Meyer, again, on the bench, goes on to play, uh, I think, at Quinn's. There's quite a few players in the Namibian team that go on to play professional yeah. rugby. But other than Jacques Bergen, none of them have kind of really glittering careers. Like, Jacques Bergen goes on to win the European Cup a couple of times. Grand. It, the rest you're... of the Namibian team, like, this World Cup, and either the World Cup before or after, Were their career. And it's like, that's the thing that defines them. And that's the thing I feel really excited about games like this. Mm. Like, this is the game they'll look back on. This is the game that'll come up on TV when, you know, on the Namibian coverage when they're going, remember when we played Tier 1 Nation and we really pushed Ireland? Remember when we almost beat Fiji? Remember when we scored this try against the All Blacks? Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, you name drop Jacques Berger there because he's mm. the... It's not controversial to say he's the greatest Namibian rugby player of all time. Yeah. Uh That's not a controversial thing to say. What I didn't realise is this World Cup is before he'd really like yeah, established yeah, yeah, himself. Yeah. This was like the really weird thing. I had a weird really moment watching this, and I almost said this to you because I was watching in the office. Yeah. But it's so weird to think this was before we knew Jacques Berger as the great as the yeah. great Namibian warrior. No one knew who he was. This was quite a young Jacques Berger. And that's the thing though, you talking about this, bit, this being the pinnacle of all of these players' careers, for Jacques Berger it was. Yeah. Like, if yeah. he if he didn't work his bloody arse off in this game as he did, he was fantastic in this game. If he wasn't, he might never have been picked up by Saracens. He probably wouldn't have. Well, if he wasn't great in not only this game, but the other World Cup Games that we'll have had yeah. in this campaign. The, for Jacques Berger, he, this is make or break between him being an average at like, Curry Cup level player and being a European champion of multiple trophies. He gets picked up by the Bulls off the back of this game, right? So he played a season for Aureliac in the Pro Leader and then went back to the you know went back to the Bulls in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he signed for Saracens. I remember the BBC headline being: "They sign like flanker Berger signs from South African club." Like, as they were selling it as though it was Schottberger that yeah. had signed. And funnily enough, that age fit finally instead. Yeah. Because Schottberger did eventually <laughs> sign for them. But yes, I now remember that. I now remember that. That makes sense. The, so they, they say on the comms that the only professional player that they currently have, a mm. fully top level player they have, is their captain, Keith Lensing, who's played a little bit in France. They said he played for Leeds, mm. Carnegie, played for Castra, and then he ended up at the Sharks. Who they call Keith every time. <laughs> Why Keith? They say Keith Lensing instead oh, okay. of... Got a lisp. Yeah, I don't know. It just comes up as Keith. And I thought he was called... Very I was strange. like, that's funny. A Namibian called Keith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turns out, no. But they say a couple of times in the commentary that the Namibian head coach, Haki's Hosselman, which mm. is, first and foremost, a Hell of a name, name, that he had said in interviews, I'm really grateful because for the first time we've been able to have this squad together full-time for about two months. Mm. But then he later on went on to reveal that by full-time he meant between six and eight in the morning. Right. Between twelve and one in the afternoon when they're all on their lunch break from work and then from I think six till eight in the evening. Wow so they had to work around a full a full working schedule, including working just you know running on their lunch hour wow. uh, which yeah. is horrible. I remember hearing about Prince Classs, the current Namibian flanker who is a really, really good player that, you know, has played a bit of MLR and so on, as, as well as playing internationally and went to the last World Cup, that he works as a banker. Yeah. And he had to do that. He had to fit those into his he schedule. He had squad. with his work mm. that they would let him come in an hour late and finish an hour early. Yes. Because he was a professional player. Play, or he was, a you know... Representing the country. Yeah. So yeah. they went, brilliant, we'll give you two hours off work in yeah. order to represent our... our However, rugby. The, the whole squad being on that schedule yeah. is next that's level. that's a killer. With, as you say, a handful of exceptions... So Lensing, the, as I said, the loose-heading captain, uh, yeah. who had been at Yorkshire, well, would be Yorkshire Carnegie, Leeds Carnegie at the time. yeah, And then, yeah, went. he signed a contract just before this World Cup with London Irish. Um, okay. Brian Smith, then coach of London Irish. And I don't know if he was, like, spotted having dinner with Eddie Jones or something, because quite suddenly, Brian Smith end of this contract and i think it was a change in like coaching and management and like because saracen's had, outbid him. <laughs> yeah they had but they had a change in like something at london irish suddenly mm. they didn't want him anymore so that contract got cancelled last second so we went to the sharks instead but after the end of this world cup he got enough from castle and peak to go and play there okay so we went on went to cast off this world cup playing the top 14 for quite well continued playing for Namibia through to qualifying for the next world cup then retired just okay. before that world cup okay Age like thirty three. Yeah, he was quite good. I so he had a yeah, wrestling. had a solid career. I yeah. thought yeah, I wasn't familiar with him. I can't say I've seen him play before. He makes a half break at one point. It's joyous. Yes. Um. But he's clearly a good leader. Like he clearly knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, you can tell he's been around the block. Uh, I've got time for him. Yeah. Well. So they've been uh, for. A, it was a really interesting, weird period for Namibia. Okay. Because they. Had, of course, qualified for the previous two World Cups. Yeah. They qualified for 99, they qualified for 2003. 2003, they'd had the infamous game against Australia where they lost 142 nil. Of course. And that was really badly seen yeah uh, nowadays i think if that happened people would go oof i really feel for namibia yeah whereas then it was we should kick these teams out the tournament yeah. we need to reduce the world cup we need to reduce the appeal of rugby it is concerning when it gets to that high the score yeah. line. because at this point as well when it's less structured and so on especially in 2003 you can't help but wonder if there's a safety concern of yeah uh, it being that one-sided and so on so i get why people would make that would have those concerns you know Yeah, you do feel for Namibia though. That that would have been a record scoreline at the time in international rugby, let alone at a World Cup. I think it still is. I think it still is the World Record. Yeah. Um, I reckon there might be something rivalling it in this World Cup, but I'm not sure. But so it, yeah, stands, obviously enormous, enormous loss and people were really concerned about like, should this team be in the tournament and what have Mm. you, which I think is bollocks and I hate as a reductionist way of looking at Rugby sure. and looking at a World Cup. And yeah. the point is you appeal and reach out and Yeah. Expand the World Cup to That's, eighty teams. I don't um, think it's ever gonna be that much of an issue again. This no is the I good don't. news. I don't. I think we're now at a stage in which we have enough teams banging on the door that you could expand it to twenty four teams quite easily. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you would still have you still have some big results. Like if, you know, the current French team or whatever played against I don't know, who'd be the Whoever's just us, depending if they do it geographically. Like if they played against yeah. Kenya, they'd probably batter them by yeah. a really big scoreline. Yeah. But you probably. I think it a would be more ninety rather than, than yeah, one hundred and fifty. Yeah. Know? Like we watched the other week that Australia Japan game from this World Cup. Mm. I think it would be more similar to that. Yeah. Than it would like them not being able to make tackles. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's exactly. like you get to one hundred and fifty points. Yeah. So Namibia then came back after that World Cup, and I think there was an awful lot of kind of hurt pride and an awful mm. lot of kind of really thrown off within Namibian rugby. And their initial World Cup qualifying campaign did not get off to a good start Okay, at all. Well, no, actually, that's not true. So immediately afterwards, their first kind of qualifying game, they beat Kenya 82-12. And I Go think on, part of that was a reaction to the, you know, like the, the shaming they'd had and the kind of, you know, being very self-conscious, I think. But then it goes off a cliff completely. Oh, Like there's about a month before they next play their next game, which is against Tunisia. And they lose it. They lose 24-7 to Tunisia. That's not a good result. No. No. Again, came completely out of nowhere. Yeah. It wasn't like a vintage Tunisian team. They'd lost to Kenya, that team. Okay. Um, So a huge drop-off from... Yeah, from beating... You know, so Kenya beat Tunisia 25-21, Namibia beat Kenya 81-12, yeah. and then suddenly Namibia loses to upset. Tunisia. It's a huge, huge, like one of the one of the all-time yeah. biggest upsets. Yeah, that's a 90-point turnaround, yeah. essentially. And then, in the return game, Kenya beat Namibia. Okay. thirty twenty six. 26 Shoot. Should we add this this competition to the queue? We should queue? be doing this. We should add it to the queue. We should add this. I okay. We so we're doing the African doing qualifying for 2007. Yeah. And the 1987 premiership. Yeah. And, and the all Re-Sway the rugby league cups. workshops. a spoon movies. Yes, rugby league. Thank you for um, I love rugby league. I, I know you do. What else are we doing? Oh, there's like something to do with touch rugby, maybe. Touch rugby. Recipe. We're going to do free games yeah. of touch rugby. Yeah. Cool. That's a good then, list. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. But then, thankfully, basically, Namibia go in knowing that their points difference in the one game they won for the final game against Tunisia, the final return game against Tunisia, they go in knowing their points difference is so strong that all they have to do is beat Tunisia in this return game and they'll make it through to the final round of qualifying with okay. Morocco. Okay, Because Morocco w- won the other group. This tournament sounds fucking mental. I know. So the other game, the other group comes down, it's like Morocco and Ivory Coast look completely evenly hmm. matched. You know, like, there's a really level game between them. They both beat Uganda by pretty big scores. Okay. And it all looks pretty Big Silvertian. Definitely yeah. would have scored for Ivory Coast at that point. <laughs> yes, of course. A player. And it all comes down to a game in Morocco between Morocco and the Ivory Coast. For the winner then, you know, is in the final of the kind of qualifying. Okay, yeah. And the loser goes into the refichage. And Morocco pull out a remarkable 23-7 win to beat the Ivory Coast. Of course, Morocco never qualified for a World Cup. This is the closest they ever yeah. get to a World Cup. They were one game away. Oh, no way. Um, oh, I would love to was, see Morocco in this. I know. Like, it was, they Imagine were so close. Imagine if we were covering Morocco versus Ireland at this point. And it's like, it's one of these things that we will, you know, we'll forever talk about the Russian team in 2019 because they got in, mm. you know, because of yeah. what happened and all of the kind of controversy that led to Romania being kicked out. And like same... The Ivory Coast team in 1995. You yeah. Know? The fact that we've mentioned that is because it happened, because they yeah. got there. But people forget, like, people miss the fact that we were... Like, there were small margins that led to... Morocco missing out in a World Cup. It could, like, and like, that could have been the case that, I don't, I don't know this, but like, yeah. hypothetically, Ivory Coast could have beaten somebody by one point to get into that World Cup in 95, right? Yeah. Like, if somebody missed a kick, that could have meant we were looking at Uganda in the Rugby World Cup or something instead. Like, you never know what's gonna happen. Yeah. Like, you know, we're never gonna see the 2023 USA team because Samuel yeah, Marks got yeah. that kick. Yeah. You know? Like, and, so like, in, May two thousand and six, okay. right? Namibia in that first game, the first game of African qualifying, mm-hmm. Namibia putting eighty-two points on Kenya. If they'd put sixty points on Kenya, which is still a huge margin, Tunisia would have played Morocco in the final no. for who would have got in. No way. So Namibia like, just wouldn't have it, stood a chance. It came in like they would have been knocked out if they'd scored only sixty points instead of eighty four. That's a few people missing tackles in the last ten minutes. Yeah. That's three tries. Yeah. If Namibia scored three fewer tries no in the game way. where they battered I was, them... I was really rooting for Morocco as well. <laughs> but as it is, it leaves the final, is between Namibia and Morocco. They play home and away. Go on, Morocco. Namibia Who wins Namibia wins the first leg, 25-7. That's okay. the home leg. Go on, Morocco. So but 25-7. the second leg... Oh, that's an 18-point difference. Go on, 18 Morocco. 18-point difference. 18-0 Morocco, I'm calling it. Second leg... In Casablanca itself, Call which Morocco. is a great venue for a high profile yes, rugby match. Casablanca, here's Call looking Morocco. at you, Namibian national rugby team. <laughs> Namibia pull it out the bag and win 27-8, despite some early pressure from Morocco. I'm gutted for the lads. I'm gutted for the lads. I know. But you feel like if, if it was the other way round, right? <laughs> I can't believe was... I've never seen the Morocco 2006 rugby team play and yet but... I have such an attachment to them. But here's the thing. Like, I reckon they would have been Tunisia. Based entirely on not having watched any of them, but looking yeah, at how yeah. up and down Tunisia's results we, are. We have to actually watch all of these games. Yeah. The, the African qualifying for 2007 Rugby World Cup is and like, firmly on our list. Morocco won all their home games up until that Namibia game. And I was a Namibia team who by that point could bring in Jacques Berger and could bring in, I suppose, you know, yeah. could can bring they in the do the it on a players. hot sunny afternoon in Morocco? <laughs> That's the question. So, man, like, in the end, Namibia won 52-15 on aggregate. Oh. and somehow scraped through into the World Cup. In the end, it was pretty comprehensive in that final game. But sure. there was a world in which we almost had Tunisia against Morocco for the World Cup but to play Ireland. Like, to say at this stage, Ireland beat Namibia by 15 points. Yeah, That means Morocco were like 40 points off Ireland. Yeah. That's pretty damn yeah. good. I mean, I know it doesn't work. Like that. And let's be honest, if Morocco got in, they probably would have got fucking tonked. Yeah, right? it would have been worse. So much worse. Because who else would pull France and Argentina? France and Arge- Imagine Argentina against Morocco. Imagine the Mar- Moroccans all there in their long shorts and so on and their long sleeves, them rocking up to Stade de France and getting absolutely battered in Paris. Would have been phenomenal. I love the thought fo- No, in my head, because they play in Casablanca, their coach is Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> And he's giving really inspirational team talks, and the very Humphrey, like wearing the hat, and he's standing on the touchline with his hands in his pockets at all times. I'm so invested in Morocco. I'm gutted that they're not in this tournament. I'm I in know. denial, is what I am. I'm in denial. We're gonna look if we end up making a game in this. Which tournament. Which we never do. But if we did it again in this tournament, it should be Morocco. Morocco should be in it. We'll, we'll see, see if Morocco. notices. Yes, that's a great idea. I don't think anyone would. So yeah, so it leaves Namibia in quite an interesting place where they've, I think they're delighted and they come good in the end in the qualifying, mm. but it's a real up and down campaign. They start this tournament, they come into it as the lowest ranked nation in the 2007 World Cup and kind of given no chance of winning any of their games, yes. I think, considering they were lower ranked than Portugal at this point, who right. were very much outsiders. Yes. They were not in an ideal place. They played a number of warm-up games coming to this World Cup there once they qualified. I know about one of these. Yes. So, on comms, they mentioned that they played against South Africa. Yep. And the final score of that game was 105-13. Yes. So, it's quite an interesting one, because that obviously goes on to be a really good South African team. Yeah. And the fact that Namibia managed to put 105 points on them is seriously <laughs> impressive. You joke, but there is a point in that game in which the score is 7-0 to Namibia. <laughs> oh, God. After 10 minutes. Just, just saying. Morocco would have got 3-0 up. I started watching that game back as preparation for this. And yeah, Namibia, Namibia go ahead. Namibia score the first try. And it takes then an intercept try from Jean de Villiers to get the Spring Rocks back into it. And it's like, basically, the game is 7 all at 20 minutes. And then Juan Smith scores. And then from there on out, it's a one-way traffic. But there's 20 minutes of fight in there. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I don't know what's more impressive, that or the fact that you started watching back the warm-ups to help aid this <laughs> podcast. I think watching back the 48 games of the World Cup is enough, personally. I didn't get all the way through it. I gave up after a while. You stopped the count. But yeah, you did. stopped the count, yeah. But, like, South Africa somehow managed to score two tries in the 80th minute. That's how bullshit that was. <laughs> what? They have two tries listeners coming after the 80. <laughs> Oh, they had added time at this point sometimes, yeah. right, didn't they? Weird. Weird, weird one. Rules. Weird one. The other thing, right? Do you want to know something that's a big contributor to that scoreline, I think? Go on. The referee for that game was Jonathan Kaplan, who is not only just a Nazi, but South African. I believe you brought this up on a previous episode, didn't you? Maybe. The, that's very strange. I feel like that's. Look, if it wasn't a South African referee in that, I feel like Namibia definitely would have been within a chance. I, I feel think so, like yeah. they they, well, pro- look- they would have. Probably one. The game was level at twenty minutes. Yeah, like it was seven all at twenty minutes, and then you introduce then a South African t- referee. Kaplan goes, "I'm going to rig this." And this is too close for yeah. my thinking. He is single-handedly responsible for seventy odd points. That's, that's a disgrace. Being scored. That's a disgrace. out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. bloody I, eighty-eight points coming solely from the referee. If I were Hacky's Hustleman, I would have invented Twitter and gone on it saying about how bad the referee was. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I was commentating at the time, I would have done nothing but complain about (laughs) the refereeing. I would have got really, really angry about it, said all of those 80 points the Springboks had just scored is purely down to the referee. Yeah. And I would have invited anyone on Twitter out for a fight that I could find in order to prove how hard I am. Yeah. I think, I think that would have been a solid gold strategy. And I don't know why neither you nor Hacky's Hustleman thought of it at the time. Yeah. Newbie did play some other warm up games. Mm -hmm. So while they're in South Africa, they went, lads, let's, let's make a little tour of this. Let's, let's do something here. So directly before those games, they played the South African Amateur 15. Okay. Okay. And they won 42 34. Oh, go on, fellas. I have no idea how you pick the South African Amateur 15. Yeah, that's a difficult one. I suppose isn't it? it's like an England Counties team. Yeah, it must be something similar to that. I wonder if any of those have gone on to either become professional or win caps for Namibia. <laughs> that would be interesting. Then a week later, Namibia plays South Africa universities. Oh, okay, they're really doing the full tour of these, aren't they, they? are. I love how they've gone like, yeah, we'll play the universities, we'll play the amateurs, we'll play their under-20s, you know, we'll play their women's team, we'll just fucking play the national team, why don't we? Just in, <laughs> just in case we lose to any of those lot, we might be able to beat the national team. <laughs> we'll see. You know, we can certainly give them a game for 20 minutes, providing their referee isn't biased. yeah. And only on the condition that the referee isn't biased. For. So, South Africa University has had Michael Killian. I don't know if you remember him. I remember him. He played for uh, the Royal 15 against the Lions in 2009. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. He yeah. was a yeah winger, played for the Lions in Super Rugby. Yeah, he played with long Frolic. Time. Remember Frolic? Played with Frolic. Yeah. Played with Frolic. He was a fly half and goal kicker at the time. Okay. Then moved up to be a winger when he got into I the seem professional ranks. I remember X. him being a winger, yeah. Yeah. I'm shocked at how much of this I remember. This is for anybody who's really gone deep on the lore of this podcast. <laughs> There's also, they had a winger, South Africa Universities, called Rowan Walters, right? who might sound innocuous now, but they discovered there he was Namibian-born, he got caught up the next year. There we go. There we go. So, useful game for many reasons. Certainly, certainly Um, scouting. Yeah. Namibia came through, they won 25-13 in the end, despite being 15-6 down at one point. So, really showing their kind of like reserve... Nope, sorry, I got that wrong. They came back to be 25, then South Africa won it in the last play with a 32. I tried to make it 32. Another biased referee. I know. I know. I've got no idea who the referee was, but he was clearly biased. Probably South African. Definitely South African. Like, almost definitely, genuinely South African. They're not going to fly anyone in from Australia for that, are they? No. And so concluded Namibia's tour of South Africa. Okay. They beat a bunch of amateurs but lost to the university as students. As soon as anyone knew what they were doing, it was just game over. It's a hell of a step up, isn't it? From the a bunch of amateurs, literal amateurs, to students, to the Springboks, <laughs> to a World Cup winning Springbok team. I think that's a real character-defining like, tour that they've got on there. Yeah. Like, if you look at the list of try scorers in that South Africa-Namibia game, right? Like Jean, like, Jean de Villiers, Juan Smith, J.B. Peterson, Schalk Berger gets a hat-trick, <laughs> like... Poor man Schulte Jacques, um, Jacques Fary, Oz Duran, Percy Montgomery. This is just the try-scorers. Like, Ruan Pinar comes off the bench, CJ van der Linde. If you're tight head and you see Oz run. In front of you. What the hell do you do in that situation? How do you prepare Cry. for? Cry. Cry, yeah. Literally, they've got, they've filled their first team there. Yeah. They've not even gone like, oh yeah, we'll just rotate everyone out and develop some depth here. They've just gone like, now nah, we'll just have a, yeah, essentially a training run. <laughs> and so, yeah, Namibia come into this tournament i suppose some pride bruised again but mm. glad to be there and knowing actually we gave south africa a go for 20 minutes yeah and eventually we battered morocco yeah yeah and you know what there's some pride to be taken in that because morocco are a dark horse in this world cup <laughs> absolutely if, if i start telling people they're in this world cup they might start buying it yeah yeah, yeah. We'll well, well, i think that i think up. we could probably like Change history and get them in. Yeah. Do you think we could get At them in for keep planting the seed, bro? We could get them in for 2023. Like the whole point oh, of this podcast is do. we're making we're drawing parallels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we start talking about how Morocco should have been in this World Cup and it was like the biggest mistake World Rugby made mm. to not just let them in anyway, yeah, adding, adding a 21st team yeah. in Morocco, maybe they can add a 21st team to 2023. Yeah, and we can have Morocco. In if it. nothing else, why not have three teams on the pitch? Why does it just have to be two? Have someone Absolutely. shoot the other way, shoot horizontally, go to the sideline, you know? Yeah. No one's marking the sideline. I it would be if we had Morocco going that way. Look, I was watching Toby Booth's press conference the other day for the, yeah. the Ospreys. And I've noticed something when he does these. Almost every time he'll refer to them as coming second rather than losing. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think is a lovely coaching point. It is, there. yeah. Um, he calls them work-ons, not fuck-ups. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. yeah. And I think, right, if we had a third place, that's more legitimate. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think supposed so. to come third in rugby. Yeah. All right, we'll finalise this once we're finished recording, but we'll get Morocco in the 20s Morocco are currently ranked 48th. Oh, that's the perfect number. But that's they the are up from together. 49th previously. Lads, go on. Lads. Thanks to beating Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, Trinidad and Tobago, they they produced like the Armitages, is not it? Yeah, the Armitages are from there. Yeah, yeah there yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So there's rugby royalty that they're already way better than. Yeah. Okay, I think... I think we can do this. I think we this. can get them in there. Yeah. yeah. yeah we'll Sorry, Croatia, the seed. who are one place above them. Fucking. We'll just keep planting the seed that Morocco are in this World Cup, and yeah, hopefully yeah. people just go along with it. they will just let them in. they will just yeah. let them in. Yeah, yeah, It'll yeah, be yeah. fine. All right. Like, cool. No one will notice. Um, we'll um, draw yeah. notice. So this is um, <laughs> Bill uh, Beaumont really mm. confused turning up in Casablanca <laughs> through his tour. This is <clears throat> Namibia's second game of the tournament after they beat Morocco in the first one, didn't they? And tell you what, hell of a performance. Yeah. We, we covered really. that a few weeks back, didn't we? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Go and listen to that episode. Yeah. It'll be on your pod feed. If you if you can't find it, uh just keep looking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, if not, complain to at Izzy Falau. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 He's like he's now in charge of iTunes stuff. Yeah, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so A-cast. just just have a word with had a word with his fallow Yeah. He'll sort it for you. Yeah. Um, he's really good like that. <laughs> We should probably talk about Ireland. Yeah, we should, we should. Do, do we want to look at their warm up first? Because we've talked about the Namibian team in that, I think. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, Well, should we look so, at their actually, yeah, the, look campaign. At the, the, the Namibian 15, I think is what would have been considered their strongest 15. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Before we talk about all of this, let's, before we do this, can I just ask you a question? What? What did you think of Vitboy? Mate, mate, mate. Ryan Vitboy is the new, is my hero. <laughs> Ryan Vitboy, the greatest rugby player since Superboot. I was going to say, there's there's something on this podcast that I like to call the Superboot effect. You just hear a player's name, or you see him play, you see them get the ball once, and you just go, I like you, I've got a vibe for you. And with a player whose actual name is Vitboy and it was even better cuz i heard it on commentary then i went and checked how it was spelled yeah. <laughs> and it's not spelled like i was writing it in my notes w i t b o o i it's the it's double o it's the double o and then an i <laughs> vitboy <laughs> i had no idea his name was ryan until i read it out me right neither. now as yeah. well but he, to me he's just vitboy yeah he's vitboy yeah forget that he doesn't have a first name he is vitboy he's vitboy he's vitboy i thought obviously like Obviously, his three tries against Morocco were huge for Namibia. Oh, did he score um, three? Yeah, yeah. My yeah. man. We're not paying attention to Vitboy, <laughs> yeah, the greatest rugby not. player since Superboot. Yeah, he's <laughs> incredible, Vitboy. What I really like about Vitboy, right, he's a bit like a wind-up toy. Yeah. He is always running at full speed, no matter yeah. what. Unless he stood perfectly still, which occasionally was the case. Sometimes there'd be a, a point where, like, the ball and the play goes beyond where he was still on his wing, and he would just stand there. And then eventually <laughs> he would recharge, and he would just run, sprint back and what I love he he's like he never passes the ball at no. no point does he pass the ball Fitboy is like he, he's like the car in a really early burnout game yeah. <laughs> where he went from like 0 to 60 in no time and then crashes into a wall but smiles as he does it he's oh, like he loves oh, it he's I having he a great showed time showed that wall didn't I like there's one hilarious moment in the second half but it just doesn't maybe have come back into it. Where he gets the ball like on a kick return and he does this really elaborate goose step where like he has one leg goes in the air, flies in slow motion, then the other one does the same and he moves like an octopus with his limbs all over the place. And he's saying to Andrew Trimble, like, Oh yeah, come at me, right? Just yeah, like skin... Squiddly Diddly doing a Marcus Smith impression. Yeah, exactly. And then he tries to take Trimble on the outside. Trimble does not even go low in the tackle. Trimble doesn't flinch. <laughs> Trimble just stands there and watches him and goes like all right. Trimble bear hugs him and just carries him into touch. And then Vip Boy just goes, all right, yeah, who cares? You know, I'm fine with that. I wanted that to happen. <laughs> Love Vip Boy. Trimble has the look of someone watching a really weird experimental art film. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess this is happening in front of me. And then he stops doing it. it great. Great. Okay. And he just smashes but him The, to the thing about Trimble is during that whole experience, he never forgot that he was on a rugby field. <laughs> no
1: in actuality
0: <laughs> he could still just pick the man up and just pump him onto the t- yeah. touchline and just that's he's done his job he never had a moment of experimental interpretational dance yeah 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 and the best thing is Vitboy at one point during that that whole experiment <laughs> throws a dummy as well while he's like airborne and Trimble's <laughs> just like no what why would you do that it's great, and then Trimble has a moment where, when they both get up, of like Trimble has this moment of kind of squaring up to him, like in that thing of like you've just tried to take the piss out of me, and I've just dumped you into touch, and here's a thing of kind of squaring up to him, like yeah, I, and what? And Vipboy's just like yeah, I'm having a right laugh, and He's just like, does yeah. not notice that He's Trimble's like, getting angry. I'm him. Boy, What do you <laughs> yeah, want? exactly. <laughs> He goes back for the next time he has to explode to 60 metres an hour, having not moved a muscle for an hour. He just sits on the touchline, and then while still horizontal, he doesn't even get back to his feet. He just zips back to his wing. He just moves moves back along his wing. Vid boy. What a player! he's just unbelievable. I'm such a fan of him because he's a proper baller. Like, yeah. he loves to have a crack. Yeah. Like <laughs> You know what? If there's one thing he loves, it's having a crack. I can tell you that much. He's constantly having a crack. <laughs> Makes it sound it like... He looks like he's on crack as yeah, well. Yeah, looks like he's hanging out with Longs Delaglio in some Romanian <laughs> nightclubs. Oh, I'm so glad Mate, that you Bitboy. also picked up on Vitboy. I love Vitboy. Boy. He, uh, I'll tell you what, his asking price in the draft has just shot. Up. I know. I had this thought while I was watching it. I was like, "We're gonna, there's gonna be a bidding war yeah. for Bit Boy." <laughs> Do you want to know something incredible as well? Come on. he could also play scrum half. <laughs> no, he couldn't. No, you're categorically wrong. <laughs> would not play. He scrum won off. two caps and of screw off. He can't pass the list. He can't pass. All he does is run up walls. <laughs> I'll tell you what, right, a day in the life of whoever was playing fly off in that test it's like, yeah, Vip Boy, pass to me. <laughs> and every time he just dummies like really extravagantly, like elbow fully up in line with his yeah, cranium yeah. and then throws the dummy full arm, fully extended and then runs into the biggest player on the opposition and they tackle him. And he's just like, oh yeah, I'm still Vip Boy, aren't I? <laughs> and then the fly-off goes, right, okay, Please I'll do it play again. nine. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the fly-off goes like, okay, I'll go in and play nine and pass to a forward as we've been practicing and training all week. Yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. And then Vip Boy's back on his feet. is like alright fellas time to have another crack you ready for it because I'm BitBoy and you're not and him there he is and he steps in he steps in to play nine and you think you know what's happening every time and they'll be like BitBoy okay we've got an overlap we've got a five player overlap Morocco only have two men on their feet come on Mar- BitBoy if you pass the ball we've scored it's done and he looks up and he's like I hear you guys I I I, I hear you Emil. Great point. I love it. And he charges straight into an opposition forward. He Without even straight. picking the ball. No, yeah. Just runs straight into him. Gets battered back backwards. Doesn't notice. <laughs> Doesn't Hugo notice. Horn stepped up and pick and goad. It's fine. It's fine. He's straight back up to his feet. He hears him again. He's like, we've still got... It's now only three men over, but it's still happening. It's still on. It's still on. It's still on. Vip boy, guess what? Chips for himself to chase. Yeah. No one saw that coming. <laughs> But that's it, like, as you say, he clearly wouldn't notice after that, because all he's thinking about is the fact that he's Vitboy. He is Vitboy! If I was Vitboy, I wouldn't think about anything else. <laughs> i don't even think about the fact that I was Vitboy. <laughs> that man is going to live in my head for the rest of time. I love him. And the great thing is, we've got a few more games of Vitboy still to go after this. Yeah, I think we've covered the Namibian team. Yeah, there. I mean, so the important ones, right? So Jacques shot burgers at eight. Yeah, unusual position for him, but fine. Eugene Yankees goes on to play in like eight hundred World Cups. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Goes on to play till twenty nineteen. Easy scrum off Speaking of um, back row they've got Jacques Nivenhouse at six, yes. who went on to become a number eight after this, I believe. Yeah, and teams but... do please on the bench as well. Yeah, he yeah, he played on. in twenty eleven. Man of the match against Wales, infamously. Of course, yes, of course. In the second row, they have somebody that we've taken the piss out of the name of on this uh, podcast before, but never actually seen him play. Is Waka Kazombias. Yes. Uh, who I think we said is, sounds like Fozzie Bear having a stroke. I think that was what you said about him. But you know what? He's pretty good. He's He has a good game. He has a good game. Great line operator. Yeah, yeah. Honey who plays the next World Cup as well, also in the yeah. team. And Pete Van Zale on his third yeah. cap. Johnny Redland Hayes plays until 2015. Of course. On the bench. Yeah, so pretty decent Namibia yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, a lot of all. highlights in there. Island finally, Ireland. after 40-odd minutes. <laughs> We've covered <laughs> so, some important ground in about 40 right. minutes, though, so it's fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you take a guess, right? Okay. Ireland won you out from this World Cup in the lead up to this World Cup. How do you think they're looking? (laughs) I reckon they're looking like pretty good. I reckon they're looking at a quarter final, if not a semi. Yeah. uh, Is the the direction they're headed in. So, would you say you would expect maybe Ireland to go unbeaten in the autumn? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so, yeah. 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 So yeah, Ireland win thirty-two fifteen over the Springboks the year beforehand, year before this World Cup. Strong result, really good result. I mean, like don't get me wrong, maybe you put a hundred on them, but still, we can't all be that good, <laughs> can we? Right? Ireland win twenty-one six against Australia. Mm-hmm. Really good result again. Really good result. And then Ireland win sixty-one seventeen over the Pacific Islanders. Okay, okay, that that's a really strong set of yeah. results, actually. They've hammered the Pacific Islanders, who, yeah, yeah. you know, no mugs. And I've seen the the teams they were putting out around that time. And oh, they mate, bloody they're properly, good. like, yeah. class. You're 2CPC at 10 for the Pacific Islanders in that game. Right, okay, yeah. I don't yeah. have the full team in front of me, but bloody, he's good at rugby. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they will have had a really good team out, I think. Was that the, the, the era where they had um, Sivivatu playing for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sioni Lauaki? Like, they had a couple of future All Blacks playing for them. Like, they had a serious team out. That's a really good set of results for Ireland. Like, I would expect them to come into this and think, you know what? They put more points on the Pacific Islanders than they do Namibia. Yeah. Wild. Wild. But looking really good. Go into the Six Nations. First four rounds look really good. They were kind of... They went into the tournament genuinely as favourites. Like, Mm. they were the tipped-on favourites. People saying this could be their first Grand Slam since, like, 1400. And... It was like really good start. They win away in Wales by ten points, like really solid result over like a Welsh team that's misfiring, but you know still reasonable. They then narrowly miss out to France. It's seventeen twenty. They lose, so it's kind of it's looking pretty good, but then they they eventually lose it too. Famously, the last minute Van St-Claire try. Of course, of course. So Van St-Claire ruins that. The they bane then... of Irish lives, Van Sinclair. <laughs> They then go, we can still win this. They absolutely batter Ireland. The famous court park game. They batter park Ireland? Game. Yes, they do. Sorry, I just hate Ireland so much that I automatically that was, assume that... was the that... turning point? That <laughs> yeah. Was where, that was where it really went downhill, was where they battered themselves. Yeah. They couldn't field a team properly. They battered enough. themselves. They had a Moroccan referee yeah. um, who's really biased towards Ireland. They, they famously are. No, so it's the really famous croak park game against England oh. where they absolutely smashed them yeah. 43-13. Yeah. Absolute battering like one of the all-time great Irish performances in that yeah, situation yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. as Very good a well performance yeah. That was Ronan O'Gara week. getting mad in the match, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Following Ronan O'Gara goes through the score sheet against Ireland. They wow. win 18-19, really narrow win. O'Gara Four. kicks a penalty in the last 10 minutes to win it. And Ireland are in with a shout of winning it. Right, but the last day of that Six Nations is mental. Not quite to the 2015 degree, but it's probably next close after that. Okay. Going into the final day, right, France won top of the table, but mm-hmm. Ireland and England could have won it, but so could Italy. Yo. So if Italy had won by basically an enormous margin in the last game, okay. they'd have they'd have won it. If they'd have pulled an Namibia in the qualifiers, basically. Yeah, but Ireland needed France to drop a game, or to at least come, like, draw us whatever. Italy needed to beat Ireland with like by a significant margin okay and then england needs a bunch of results to go that way right in the end wales beat england ireland beat italy 51 24 and france win 46 19 over scotland okay and basically it means france win the tournament on points difference by four points Ooh. over ireland that sounds like a bit of a banger that's so, six nations yeah we're looking at really, really tiny margins on that final mm. day. Six Nations is great, isn't it? I know. Elvis Vermeulen scores a try in the last minute for oh, France. Oh, wow, I remember him. Uh, oh, wait, 79th minute. Yeah. yeah. 79th minute, he scores a try for France that wins them the Six Nations. Right. One points difference. So, Ireland, really unlucky not to win this tournament. One really minute from unlucky. the end of the tournament, they thought they'd won it. Yeah. That's crazy. And then they, they fall short. Really oh, good man. Irish team. Yeah. Like, unbeaten in the autumn... Them. As I say, advanced two last-minute French tries away from winning the tournament. Yeah, And yeah, came into this at the start of the thing. The commentator says, Ireland, dark horses for the tournament. People were talking about it. And of okay. course, I asked you how you thought Ireland would get, uh, Ireland were doing a year beforehand. How do you think Ireland doing this World Cup? Again, like, I think, yeah, they're looking at probably a quarter final, if not a semi. And potentially place on the podium. To be fair, it's like they've got a good team out, and like I really like this Irish team. Yeah. So there's no reason why they shouldn't do well in the pool stage at least. Yeah, they go out in the group. Um. So it's yeah, as you say a good Irish team. It's sort of ninety percent strength. Like it's mm. pretty close to full strength. this yeah. Side. Yeah. And, like, a lot of the players they have that aren't first choice are on the bench, you know? Yeah, Or yeah. there's really trusted players on the bench, like Jerry Flannery, like Jordan Murphy, the two bests, and Paddy Wallace, you know, Michael McKelly, all on the bench. Yeah. It's a really strong bench for Ireland, like, regardless of, you know, who they've got starting on the field. It's a really good team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really strong. So you have O'Driscoll, you have O'Gara, you have O'Connell, O'Callaghan, yeah. Peter Stringer. Yeah, Rory um, Best. That um, classic front row of Hor and Best and John Hayes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, with O'Connell and O'Callaghan together. Mm. Simon Easterby, who I haven't seen play in a long, like... No, no. Kind of forget about him as a player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Likewise, likewise. I, I, was, really, I was really... I enjoyed watching him a lot, yeah. to be fair, because he was actually a really solid flanker at everything yeah. he did. And you could tell he could play anywhere I, yeah. in the back row because he did all of those skills yeah. equally. My memories of him as a player because I was a kid when I was watching him, thinking like, oh, he doesn't run off the ball much, he doesn't do much big carries, mm. and kind of underrating him based yeah. on that. Yeah. Like, as you do when you're a kid. Extremely like, solid. One, one of the, yeah. the best Irish players in this game, actually. If you find a six-year-old who loves the way Dan Lydia plays, mm. sign him up because he's going to be an international coach. Yes. Yeah. I, I felt like there was a lot of times, and this is extremely generational mm. and uh, telling of when I started watching rugby, but like... A lot of times that Easterby would come up with the turnover and I'd go like I'd like start writing my notes like, Oh Stephen Ferris has done this. Because like <laughs> clearly like he paved the way for a player like Ferris, yeah. you know, that like you scrum can cap. imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the scrum cap definitely helps the aesthetic, you know. Yeah. But like you can you can tell that he's the player that Ferris will have watched as he was kind yeah, of yeah. you know coming in through. that turning point coming through. Yeah. because it's a very similar kind of player in that they're they're both quick, like mm. underratedly quick but good over the ball and great ball carries and tacklers. Yeah. Like, just really solid package of a a number six. It's a really interesting, the shift from Easterby, Wallace, Leamy Mm. to then, by the next World Cup, they have Ferris, O'Brien, Heaslip. Yeah. And it's a complete shift in players, and yet it kind of happens slowly over the next four years. Yeah. And both are equally iconic back rows. Yeah. Both are kind of really famous and really celebrated And both combine different provinces as well. Mm. It's not like it's, you know, there were periods over this era leading in where you had entire months to back rows. Like, you wouldn't put it down Um, as a really good combination and then you see it and you go like, oh wait, that really works. Yeah. I tell you what, I forgot how quick Dennis Leamy was. Yes. I didn't realise, because I I remember Dennis Leamy, and again, like, it's generational, I watched him at the end of his career. I remember, like, for his line-out prowess. And just in being a good tackler and just really good at the kind of nuts and bolts of a number eight. Didn't realize how quick he was. I remember him being one of those players that is valued for his experience. Yeah. And then watching him gain that experience as he goes on, actually, he's one of those players that, because you didn't see him in his prime, you underrated. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, for sure. He was enormously like that. As as he used to be, I undervalued, even though I saw him playing a lot of rug, good rugby. but And it, heard a lot about him. You know? Yeah. Growing up as... I was know, just Francis too young to appreciate what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, really good back row. Of course, the other kind of big name we've not mentioned yet is Gordon Darcy in the midfield. Yes. Playing alongside Brian O'Driscoll. Really iconic centre partnership. Darcy is one of those players who I question whether it would happen these days because he was so extremely talented, but he seemed quite kind of like when he'd catch the ball, the first thing he would do is see what's on for him. Yeah. And then yeah. he'd kind of look outside him and go, like, oh, I've got Bod. So if he didn't yes. know what to do, he could just give it to Bod what? and that would work. And I don't was... mean that as a, a kind of an insult to Darcy, because I think he was an exceptional player. So talented and like had a really good career he... in 12 He shared the fate with Kevin Maggs of being Brian O'Driscoll's foil. Yeah. And no matter what he could do, he would never get out of his shadow. Yeah. And there were periods of his career where he was playing better rugby than O'Driscoll. But that's the thing. Like, you'd never tolerate that That's anyone. it. Like it kind of worked in his favour. Yeah. Because so many people always had the attention on O'Driscoll but Darcy was a cracking player. Like, I don't think he has his best game of his career here. I, no, um, no, no, he was about but, shit to be honest. Yeah. But, um, but no, I completely agree on really, him. Really, really great yeah. player. And like, uh, it was one of those where we spoke about uh, this with John Davilius. Like, had a bit of a dip towards the end of his career, then came back again. Mm. And that's, I think, that's a sign of a really good twelve. Is that you know, as the game changes, they can adapt to that eventually. Yeah. Speaking of good players who had shit games, Dennis Hickey. Dennis Hickey is dog shit. We'll get on to In this him. game. Fucking um, But I want to mention him because his Wikipedia page states something I think is very interesting and needs addressing. Okay. okay. He is also known as Disco Dennis as a result of his quick feet. Other nicknames include Tickets. Right. Le Harek, which I don't understand at all, and Den Den, <laughs> which I do understand perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably um, because he's called Dennis. Because he lives in a den. Oh, yeah. That's probably, yeah. 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 So <laughs> he also mentioned his career. Brian O'Driscoll respectfully mentioned Dennis in his contribution to Leinster in an aftermatch interview after his final game for Leinster.
1: <laughs> was it because Brian O'Driscoll
0: he, respectfully he, mentioned him when like, yeah, he was alright, I suppose. Was it because he was the guy that he threw the ball over the head of when he did the, the trick? Yes. Or that was that must Luke be. Fitzgerald? I don't no, know. No, I think it was Hickey. I think it was Hickey, yeah. The quotes there's a quote on his Wikipedia okay. as well that says, I've always been a Leinster player. My dad played for Leinster. My uncle played for Leinster. My cousin played for Leinster. I'm a Leinster lad. I don't make any apologies for that. That's my team. Because, well, because of all of that, he has always been a Leinster player. So, like when he came out of the womb, he was born in Leinster kit. Yep. that's something that li- people people don't know about Dennis Hickey very well. That actually, he's literally always been a Leinster player. He signed his first professional contract while he was still a fetus. Yep. So just before this World Cup. Dennis Hickey, who had signed his first contract when he was a fetus, filled in out of nowhere for Jenny Huston on her radio show. Okay. And according to his Wikipedia page, was a huge hit, and people were demanding him to come back. Go on, Den Den. He filled that in himself. (laughs) Whilst presenting the show. An avid music fan, Hickey said, when interviewed by Ireland's Hot Press magazine, (laughs) unfortunately, a lot of people... I seem to like Are Dead Now. Oh, no. Disco <laughs> I, Den. Disco where do you think Dennis. this is going? Is it going to be I was born in the wrong generation or I see dead people? Is it a sixth think it's sense? Go, I think it's going in his favourite Beatle is John. Okay. Do you want to know who Dennis Hickey's two favourite music artists are? They are yes. not who I ever would have expected. Are, are they fair disco fair play artists? to him. Disco Den. Unfortunately not. No. Elliot Smith. Okay. Wow. Yep. And Nick Drake is he okay? Nick Drake, he's a huge Nick Drake. Fan. I mean, don't get me wrong, both brilliant artists, mm. right? Both brilliant artists, but is Disco Dennis okay? Like, he must be really sad. Obviously, though, I won't be seeing them in concert anytime soon. He said, "No, unfortunately, which is, not." W- what a what a what a gag! Wow. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I can tell that he's definitely known for his humor. Is is Dennis? Hickey. Yes, but wow. I mean. You can kind of fill in the rest of it from there on out. Like you get the impression he's also a big fan of Jeff Buckley and David Bowie and all that kind of stuff. Like I just didn't think that there's Irish winger... being into Jeff Buckley's really funny to me for some yeah, reason. But I can't tell you why. Yeah, you think he's more into Dennis Buckley than Jeff Buckley, right? Nice, Tony Buckley. That was even that, worse. Jesus Christ. <laughs> now that's the worst bungling of a high five I've ever seen. I did it, deli- I did it deliberately. Oh, okay. For a visual <laughs> joke that no one will be able to see. This is stupid. What a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Should we move along? So good on Dennis Hickey, yeah. Betty loves Radiohead, Eduardo Panavani. Oh, yes. should Form a Radiohead does. Wingers Club. Yeah, exactly. With like Alex Cuthbert do know. Let's get him into Radiohead. Yeah, there's definitely somebody else. There's definitely another winger who's into Radiohead because I saw this before. Yeah, and like we've definitely had this conversation. I think before, I think pe- but- people who know the po- know the podcast probably know that I'm obsessed with Radiohead and want to like make a. Fi- I've wanted to make fifteen of other Radiohead obsessives and Eduardo Padovani and another winger was in there. But Dennis Hickey's definitely in that club. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, the game itself. The game. Um, can we talk about the first thing that happens on the footage on YouTube? Is sure. that the commentator is talking all over the Namibian anthem? So the first thing I've written in my notes is don't talk over the anthem, you bell <laughs> Yeah. I have pretty much the exact same written down. Brilliant Namibian anthem. Yeah. It's really low in Oh, the mix. you've got like Hugo Horn crying his eyes out. Yeah. Oh, God. Hugo Horn's really giving it some. Nico Esterhazy is Yes. properly belting it like you know when you can see somebody's jaw like going below their chest because they're <laughs> yes. screaming at that loud like oh it's brilliant it's fantastic it's fantastic really good anthem talked over by the commentators yeah pricks and look good appreciators of music such as uh, dennis hickey would not appreciate that no one note the commentators do make actually on the namibian team that i didn't mention both centers winning their second cap Yes. Like, really an experienced yeah, midfield yeah, yeah. there. I had not heard of the 13. Bradley Langenhoven. never heard of him, but Pete Van Zaal went on, yeah, top goes on that a long to have career. quite a good career for Namibia. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, Bradley uh, Langenhoven signs yeah. after this World Cup to go and play for 1880 Frankfurt, which would. Which Isn't current that a beer? <laughs> yep. No, they are a team in the German leagues who were, like, German champions at the time. Oh. Semi pro side. And he went on to play for them for a very long time. And good on him. Sweet. Good, um, good on him. Yeah. The other thing about the anthems is, ironically, as in Ireland's call, they say that the, the phrase shoulder to shoulder. Yes. That's when they suddenly show Paul O'Connell stood next to Peter Stringer, stood next to Don Crow Callaghan. <laughs> and they are very much shoulder, not shoulder to shoulder. They are top of head to armpit. It's a stringer sandwich. Yes. He is a filly. Yeah. In the middle. And then Murray Mexted, the co-coms, comes in and says something that I made a noise in the office when of like sighing and like almost anger when he says it he says just before kickoff this is going to be an education that's an anthem i've never heard before and this is a team i've never seen play before yeah he admits that his whole knowledge of namibia is that he once played there yeah Uh, and he admits that on commentary he admits that he doesn't know anything about namibia at all like really as a nation, as a, a as a team, as a group of players. He doesn't know anyone on the pitch, and that infuriated me yeah. a little bit. I wonder how much he was paid to do this game. Yeah. Um, We've just spent an hour talking about Ireland and Namibia's teams, you know. It's not hard to yeah. just learn a little, little bit. It doesn't have to be that comprehensive. Learn a couple of players. Yeah. We're not getting, like, paid t- to broadcast this on television. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's not a... it's. There were fans who did more research than he mm. did to go and watch, you know, commentate on the game. Yeah. I hate it desperately. Like, Me too. It's, Me too. It's a desperate thing holding rugby back. Can you imagine that happening at a Football World Cup? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where, like, the whatever the lowest ranked team is, they will still know the players. They'll still That's talk it. you through them. And he's just, in one sentence, completely dismantled them. Yeah. Which is so disrespectful. And, like, I really, really didn't enjoy Murray McStudden's. No, game. I thought he was I think awful. He was a he was being a bit of a prick all game uh, a massive prick and the thing is often you can see somebody on you know modern rugby coverage who clearly hasn't prepared any notes yeah. in commentary and again like i've said this before well, i don't want to pick the bones of commentary because i imagine it's a really hard job but some you sometimes see people who haven't prepared the notes and kind of coast by on a few clichés but Murray Beckster doesn't even do that he goes he literally says at one point uh, what's important is you need some good rugby players True, to be fair, he's got a point. Yeah. And there's a couple of times where he says what's really important for Namibia in this next forty minutes says after half time, is they just need to try really hard. Um they need to make sure that they're that they're really that they're actually trying their best. It's so, like, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. A five year old could have told me that. Yeah. Like I've had I had a conversation semi recently with a commentator who is a professional T V commentator, mm-hmm. who mentioned that there are large groups of like former international players. And it's not all of them, but there are certain, you know, groups and certain individuals, and he named a couple, but I won't here. Yeah. And yeah, that he or her, the commentator, basically mentioned they will often not even have a team sheet, not check the teams, just turn them expecting, you know, to go on the handful that they do recognise, having no insight, nothing prepared. Can I copy your work, up. please? Exactly, exactly. Again, they mentioned that they've had... Like them turn up like tipsy and stuff as well. And like, Jesus, that is sometimes it's not always standard. There's plenty of really good co-coms out there of that I, I kind of won't name We're talking about example. a minority here, we're talking about a minority, but we're still talking about it happening. Yeah. And when you've got that level of unprofessionalism happening for small broadcast club games, yeah. right? And then through to internationals, when you get to the, the World Cup itself you should be having someone coming in with a level of understanding. You should, you should at least have, like, Murray Max didn't even know the Irish team that well. Yeah. You know, he knew O'Driscoll O'Gara and O'Connell. You say kind he knew of- O'Driscoll? When O'Driscoll scores that first try, he calls him John O'Driscoll? Jesus. He doesn't know Brian O'Driscoll's name? Jesus Christ. There's a point. Even at this point, it's like eight years into an international yeah. career. He's been on two Lions tours yeah. at this point. And th- th- there's a point, again, like, I think that so John Taylor, the former Welsh International, is on the main commentary, mm. who is a lot better than Murray Mcsted Yes. To say the least. Although he does at one point refer to Dennis Leamy as David Lemmy. <laughs> Same player. Yeah. And again, I said that I was impressed by Leamy's pace, but not <laughs> to <laughs> yes. that extent that I thought he was a Samoan and fullback. At one point, the two of them start telling the most boring anecdote. Like I thought the previous commentator telling us about his son one day going out oh. and me- and like I thought that was boring. This, they managed to match somehow, where Murray Mexted starts complaining that, oh, we're here in France with the most beautiful food in the world, and you take me out to an Irish pub for lunch. And you're like, ho, ho, I think this is the end of that jab. Let's move on. And then they talk for a full two scrums and the passion to play in between about how boring that pub lunch was. And they start recounting all the drunk Irish people, Thumbing around, you know, drinking in the day. Ha, ha, ha. Isn't it funny that the Irish are drunk all the time? Group of people go to rugby match and get drunk before it. Yeah. And then the commentator starts telling a story sure. about how the TV in the hotel wouldn't work, thinking that's going to be interesting. And it's, God, it's all, it's just like... What I really didn't like, Murray McStad's, at his punchline to that conversation was, that doesn't sound Irish. That sounds logical. Yeah. That's I that just I got racist. <laughs> yeah. He's just like he doesn't know his facts. He doesn't know the teams. He doesn't have anything insightful to say about the rugby that's being played in front of him. Do you want to know? And then he's racist, like three types. Do you want to know what he said was um, the way Ireland were going to win this game? Go on. He said it just comes down to how good Ireland are. Oh, come off it. And like Momex is infamous for the starting a game by saying, I don't know how this game's gonna go like, they could want him they could win, they could lose or they could draw. And you're like, Yeah, brilliant. And he's yeah. famous for a few of those like really daft lines. Yeah. But Which is fine. Do your research, man. Yeah. do your research it just bothers me it really bothers me because it's like what i think is one of the biggest things holding rugby back yeah like if it was i was invited to do like a rugby room 101 type thing a few years ago and like coverage of tier two games was like my number one thing i wanted to put in there because i just think it's disrespectful it holds the game back it stops it growing it leads to this kind of growing like mentality of you know, like superiorism. I think a lot of it comes out, of the rugby values bullshit. Yeah. Kind of like, Oh, actually we respect ourselves, but it's all because it's all out of private schools and Whatever, yeah. it then means that it's all like, oh no, we only want our sort of people, which is from these same seven nations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the top one you know? percent. People don't even respect Italy and Argentina. Yeah, you know, and they are tier one nations. On the flip people side barely this, know the Japanese team. On the flip side of this, right? Let's think about right. Miles Harrison, Nick Mullins, yes. Jamie Lyle, yes. right? People like that who genuinely they look up the, the the players for tier two nations, get really into them, and they, they watch a highlights package or something and go, yeah, yeah. You know what? This is super exciting. I get, I now get an opportunity to watch Jacques Berg. No, you're right. We've we've had this rant too many times, and there's plenty of commentators who say it. Though the the Nicks Mullins and Heath and Miles Harrison, I will rant over all day, all week. Yeah. Just the wonderful, the best. Sean no Maloney, Sean Maloney, yeah. really great for it. Yeah. There's so many then, really good ones that do do that. And as I say, like, as you say, younger you know, comedy, commentator- you can go, this is a great opportunity. I get to watch Vitboy, my new favorite player yeah. now. And I think there is a universal, yes, I love Vitboy. Yeah. Bloody charging at walls. And there is a universal thing when you look at younger commentators, that this isn't an issue with. Yeah. So, you know, Jamie Lowe, you mentioned Claire Thomas, even like, you know, like Jack Zorab, who's done a lot of yeah, recently, like, yeah. clearly does his research. Yeah. But, you know, when you see a young, I, there's a relief when I hear a younger commentator now because I know they will have done their research. Yeah, yeah, no, and there's loads more that I haven't mentioned that haven't come to mind. I think we could think, go around in circles. This we've done win. this before. We will do this again, but not today. That's because um, we're covering every World Cup game. game. It yeah. comes up a lot. Exactly. There we exactly. go. I had a lot of notes about how angry I was about the commentary, so we've got them out of the way early. Yes. Game starts. Yes. I mean, we literally we get like what five minutes into the game, and I'll make a break down the left, and you think like, oh, okay, this is going to yeah. be this is this is what, the way it goes. Dempsey makes a knife break along the left-hand side. I didn't realise until we started this podcast that it was not Jordan Murphy, which is ironic, <laughs> considering what we were just saying about making taking notes. But yeah, Gerven <laughs> Dempsey. Yes, yes. uh, Gervin Dempsey. um I have actually got it written down that it's Dempsey on the team sheet in my notes. I then just wrote down Murphy made it's a break. It's a balding Irish fullback, I guess. Yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. It, but look, just goes to show, commentary, not an easy job. Anyway, so Dempsey makes a break down the left. Ireland recycle quickly. Brian O'Driscoll gets the ball in midfield and then goes, might score, to be honest, lads. Oh, mate, Brian O'Driscoll's work on that opening try is phenomenal. Yeah. I think because he initially pops up and he does a lovely early ball mm. to get the move going. O'Callaghan also times his pass really well. Like, he just goes oh, actually, there's more space here. I'm just giving yeah. it. He doesn't do the thing a lot of second rows do where they try and draw someone, they try and run it themselves. Like, no, he just gives it. He goes, these two guys are quicker What than I him. really like, and Namibia clearly really target O'Driscoll in this game. Yeah, kind of like, yeah, He's the danger man. If you tallied up or kind of like accumulatively, yeah, tallied up how long Brian O'Driscoll has the ball for in this game, it's very little because he's yeah. just giving the ball straight away. Really minor touches because he knows the space is elsewhere. Mm. And he has such a great game. Driscoll he's fantastic he's yeah. fantastic he then slots in at first receiver having created a break in the first place with a lovely early ball which maybe weren't expecting you know as I say you see Brian Driscoll and you go oh he's going to do something magic he's not going to give an early pass yeah yeah he just gives it to the nearest guy yeah like really um, simple and then he slots in at 10 first receiver does a lovely chip over he gathers himself and scores it's unbelievable it felt like a cheat code. Yeah. like It's just like, oh yeah, you're not allowed to have that. It's Come the on. fact that he has a lovely touch the previous phase as well yeah. that does it for me. Yeah. It's the fact that he's involved twice in that movement. He sets up the break, then yeah. scores the try. Yeah. yeah. Like, with the kick as well. Like, he yeah. does all of it. So well, deserves. <laughs> try tried 200. it 100% Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah. And watching this first 20 minutes, I kept thinking, I think there's an awful lot of straight lines between this Wales team and this Ireland team in 2007. In both of them look broadly quite shambolic, but they've got one player who is just like transcendent mm. and a few players who are extremely good and they're dragging the standard of the team yes. up enormously. Yeah. So Wales had Shane Williams yeah. and then he had a handful of good players around him, you know, like the the Joneses in the front row and Geffen and so on and a few more players around there. But generally, the team was not very good, but it had a few outstanding players. This island team, I think, has Brian O'Driscoll, who is incredible, and he's dragging the standard up. And you've got a few players like Ronan O'Gara and Paul O'Connor and Donoko O'Callaghan. I think all three of those have very good games. Yeah. And I think it's sort of those four players drag the standard, the rest of the Irish team up. Yeah. Because even though there's players like Gordon Darcy, who are very good, but have terrible games. And like Roy Best, I don't think has his best game. No. But I- there's a few players who have like, like really good careers, really talented players, really excellent for very long periods, but have shoddy games and were capable of it. But then because you've got a player like Ronan Agara who doesn't really have bad games, yeah, you know, like say what you like about Ronan Agara, he's yeah. somewhat limited, perhaps I suppose as yeah. a as a ten, but he didn't have bad games really, yeah. really. Yeah. If he did, it was very, very rare. Yeah, um, and they're all clipped up on YouTube on really dark. <laughs> yes, yeah, so. yeah, all four of them. And then Brian O'Driscoll, who was just mesmeric, and even if he was having a quiet game, could still produce something out of yeah. nowhere. And then again, O'Connell, O'Connell and O'Callaghan who were so tireless that you didn't kind of need them to be doing anything special. It's interesting because Ireland scraped through this game. Yeah. And yet I came out of it thinking, oh, I'm quite glad I got Brian Driscoll in my fantasy team. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think, as I say, I think this Ireland team looked rubbish except for Driscoll. Yeah. And I think this game is far closer if he's not playing. Yes. Yeah. They're never quite in danger of losing it as long as they have him on the field. Yeah. I think. You know, they're in danger of being pushed close, obviously, as they are, but yeah, like there's one point I literally have written down hickey break, parentheses, bod good. Yep. (laughs) I don't remember quite what that means, but I imagine you know it is. It is, It's, it's lovely by him. He, yeah, he times it really nicely, right for the guy. It's that moment, he did it on the 2009 lines as well, when we we're going back over that. Mm. The moment that you think, oh, he's gone himself, he can't possibly pass this now, it's too late. He gives it at that moment, he does the exact same thing for Hickey here. And Hickey has a terrible game, which starts with him being in the way of Vipboy. Namibia clear it from their own trial line, and I want a moment for Eugene Yankees' kicking technique, which is bizarre. <laughs> Where he kind of lifts the ball, then drops it from, like, chest height. And then swings his leg wildly, hoping to hit it. Yeah. Which, frankly gets coached out of him by the next World Cup. <laughs> but he does that to clear the ball from his own try line. And Vitboy just goes... <laughs> starts charging. They press the accelerate button on him. He starts charging. And poor Dennis Hickey happens to be in his lo- in his way. Happens to be the guy there when Boy crashes straight into him. Uh, look, like, as you say, Dennis Hickey's a great player, but... I think he would have been listening to a lot of Pink Moon after this. <laughs> yes. I think he wouldn't have been happy with his performance. But you know what? As I say, brilliant player, but not very often in your career you get vit-boyed. And no. you know what? Today was his, was the chosen then, day. Well, okay, so he's then down for quite a while after that hit. Yeah. And I wonder if he's concussed. Because I think it would explain it. It was a head, head on time, head contact. Yeah. Next time he. get Next time the ball comes his way, he just drops under yeah. that pressure. Yeah. Next couple of times, frankly. Yeah. 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 And he's then. Like, completely off his game for the rest of the match. Yeah. And I think, much as I will say, you know, it's, he has a terrible game, he shouldn't be on the field. He shouldn't. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be on the field beyond that point. Yeah. We're not saying he's... it's his fault that he's having a terrible no. game. It's more the medic's fault. You and know? I think it's probably also he... Vip Boy's because he, he did a shit tackle on him. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> no, right, first into right. him. yeah. Like, you're yeah. right. That would be a red card nowadays. Yeah. Oh, no, um, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of these, at the time, you're like, oh, brilliant tackle. He's absolutely smashed him. Yeah. And yeah, similar to the London Irish one. I yeah. suppose it's going out more than the line, but yeah. yeah, London Irish one recent. Actually, no, that's applicable at all times. <laughs> we could pull this out in a year's time. I like, yeah. oh, was like London Irish one this weekend. They got a red card for. Yeah, but no, you're right. Like it's it's a very similar hit to that. Like it's it's not a good hit. And you're right. Like the next time they clear the ball up Hickey's wing, yeah. he drops it under no pressure. I have written there is Hickey concussed or shit. <laughs> I think it's the former. former. Yeah. I think it's the former. The longer it goes on, you go like, there's a clear 20 minute period where he's far below the sound of the rest of the game. That's it. Vessels does notice, who's the 10th in Namibia, does notice this and constantly kicks down his wing and he's constantly dropping the ball. There's a point where Ireland get up to the Namibian try line. Mm. O'Driscoll does this wonderfully timed pass to set Dempsey away. And Dempsey does that thing of I've got a man outside me, it's probably an eighty percent try now, but if I give it it's gonna be a hundred percent. And he gives it and Hickey drops it. Yeah. Like five minutes out from the try line. And again, it's very clearly because he's he's not kept up with what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and again, not his fault. No, not his fault. Not Completely a criticism beyond. of him. It's just that again, there wasn't aware the awareness around concussion at this time. No. Within rugby, it was growing in NFL at this point. Yeah. And perhaps there should have been. But nowadays, thankfully, that would be treated very differently, and Hickey wouldn't have played on at all. Yeah, I think there's a zero, there's a, there's maybe like a three percent chance Hickey plays as much of the game as he does. Yeah. Oh no, zero percent chance he plays as much as he does, but he's probably off inside a minute. Yes, nowadays, yeah. Like there was the the Abbey Dow thing in the World Cup final, which yeah, is yeah. Every now that and that again, happened. it happens. Thomas Francis last year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sometimes it does happen, but someone would get to it eventually, and he wouldn't be able to have the. If, you know, eventual impact he does have on the game. Yeah, yeah. You know, because to be able to stick on Jordan Murphy, who Can was raring to go, we have a word about Emil Vessels. Yeah, know, maybe a flyer Go off. on, then talk to me. He looks like he's loading for the first <laughs> half. He has this weird thing where he kind of stands in like a video game like menu select screen at all times, with his shoulders darting slightly, like dancing <laughs> up and down slightly, and then when he'll do something, it'll normally be mostly there. You know, like he goes with this real snap drop goal attempt in the first 15 minutes that's not on at all, but it... I loved that. Yeah, I, I did. love loved that. I did. <laughs> we, were, we were both having flashbacks, and it would be his first game in the World Cup. That was my first thought. Yeah. Was like, oh my God, do they do this to start every World Cup? <laughs> Is they just have their fly-off randomly drop, kick a ball, miles, and it goes really just well. see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Just why? Yeah. But it's a bloody good attempt yeah. to say he's... He stood, I think, in the first row of the crowd, and I think he stood maybe somewhere in Saint Denis. Um, yeah. And he just boots the ball randomly, and, and it goes near the post. Like, yeah, he stood inside Paul O'Connell's shorts. Yeah, like, he's guy. right up to the Irish line. Yeah, it's bizarre that he goes for that, but I just thought, yeah, random, random drop kick attempt. I yep. love it. More of it, please. Yep. Love it. I'm just I'm very into him and his weird loading pose. Yeah. And like his first shot at goal he misses. But I think he like glitches out (laughs) and he looks like he's still he's still at like seventy percent when he's getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible that we've got two playable characters between him and Vitboy. Um two video game characters. So we then have a couple of brilliant moments by Andrew Trimble. Yes. Right? The first one, Andrew Trimble gets the ball. It's 10 metres out from the try line. And Ireland have been attacking reasonably well. You know, they haven't quite pierced them through, but they're consistently recycling the ball and so on. They get the ball out to Trimble on the wing. And Trimble looks up and he sees opposite him, Heinle Bock, and he goes, he's left me 50 metres on the outside. I'm taking him here. Yeah. He goes to take him on the outside. Bock gets across quite easily and starts <laughs> to put him towards the touchline. At which point Trimble goes, huh, and drops the ball and walks into touch. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Look, yeah. The wingers throughout this game had uh, really... Ex- they were really the highlights, I would say. Yep. Shortly afterwards, like, they may be <laughs> clear, Ireland work it back, they're given a penalty, and Rona O'Gara does a classic Rona Nogara thing, like he'd done against South Africa, not long yep. before this, yep. where he looks up, takes a quick tap, and does the cross-kick to Trimble, he scores in the corner. Just yeah. really sharp thinking by Gara. Really sharp thinking. I can't imagine it was that common at this point no. as well. And like that first 20 minutes, that first kind of half, in fact, sort of the first 60 minutes odd, Yeah. Island looked pretty rubbish. But then, you, as you see in the kind of, that first half an hour, for Driscoll has one moment of being brilliant, Rona O'Gara has one moment of being brilliant. And that's yeah. what separates the sides. Yes. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And you're right. Like, it took the kind of permanent experience of O'Gara to execute that. And it's, yeah, it's on the money. It's on the money. Yeah. yeah. They're not long after that Trimble try. Easterby scores? Yeah. So, I mean, it's... That one's one of those pretty simple tries, right? That you see a lot of, again, when a team starts battering another one. That feel It very much feels like, you know, the filler and the try sandwich that, uh, yes. that Ireland are... Well, it's more like a Big Mac, the way that they're constructing it at the moment. But yeah, so be just kind of flopped through the middle of a what was, I think, a mall and yeah. ended up as a ruck. And he just flops through the middle of that. And you think, like, you know what? It's quite soft defence. Namibia looking quite tired. I can't see any way back for them here. I have written O'Callaghan, okay, then cross it out to be try. Yeah. Because um, you can't quite tell who scores at first. Yeah. The commentators aren't sure at all. No one knows until they eventually get back and, like, oh, it was Easterby. Try, drive over, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've pretty much summed that up. You can very much tell we're both backs or fans of backs. <laughs> yes. There's a great bit, though, speaking of forwards, in which Namibia piles seven players into one ruck. <laughs> and Ireland fall for it and don't mark them through the middle because they pick and go through the middle of a ruck where it had seven players. Oh, wow. And then, well, where else is everyone going to be? There's no one stood nearby. <laughs> There's not a scrum off in place. Of course they're picking and going. They'll be hoping that they do that tactic that Japan were running where that you just have a fly off stud 30 yards from the ruck <laughs> yeah. and you just spin the ball halfway across the field and hope for the best. They're hoping that they do that, but instead, no, 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 fool you all, lads. It's really confusing as well at this period where Paul O'Connell has hair and Dennis Hickey doesn't, but has a similar shaped cranium. I mean, you say all of this, right? Rory Best not mm. only has hair, also it looks really slim. Yeah, yeah. I remember, remember really Slim Best. Yeah. yeah, but also wearing long sleeves. Oh, the first sighting of a long sleeved top in oh. the 2007 World Cup. Oh. You see, so I was I was told to look out for this by my coach, who <sighs> I've been told I'm allowed to mention his name. Okay. So former a former Glasgow player, and Nottingham player, and Scotland 20s captain mm. Murray McConnell plays um, halfback partner with Finn Russell. Yes, indeed. And they're quite good friends uh, growing up. I believe they're still in touch. But he's, he's an excellent coach, I will add. But he mentioned that he'd listened to an episode of this podcast, which, right. first off, I was like, okay, how is a performer, professional rugby player going to respond to this that? This bullshit. Yeah, because this is not designed for anybody who knows what they're on about to, <laughs> no. to ever hear. But no, he was really good about it. He said that, you know, it's the nichest thing I've ever heard, but you know, it's very good. <laughs> he's extremely supportive of what we do, which is very nice. But... He, when I mentioned earlier we're doing 2007 next towards the end of the 1987 one because that makes it even more weird. Yeah. Um, uh, and he said, okay, so that was what? John Smith lifting the trophy, Keep an eye out for long sleeves on front row forwards. <laughs> and so I've been on sleeve watch ever since we started this. And oh. he, it, it's the thing that angers him most about this era of rugby. is R- isn't anything to do with the play, it's the sleeves. Well, no, because it's the fingerless gloves for me. <laughs> Yeah. Orange fingerless gloves. That was my response yeah. to him, was like fingerless gloves. Not, not orange, because I hadn't got there yet. Yeah, yeah. But fingerless gloves and, you know, the Andy Goode era was, was. That's kind of what I think of when I think of, like, oh, what's man. the standout thing? Remember the era when Andy Goode was a minor comedy character in rugby? Yeah. Rather, rather than, Piers, than Morgan. Piers Morgan? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we both went to the same place. That's, that's, that's funny, because it's just. It's correct. He's yeah. just bloody... Anyway. Anyway, um, Roy Bessel's long sleeves on. Roy That's Bessels my point. Roy long sleeves on. Simon Eastby scores to try. <laughs> Namibia pile a bunch of people into a point. Bessel make... looks like he's loading. <laughs> <laughs> Namibia made that break and the crowd love it. Mate, not just Namibia make a break. Oh, no, so the front row break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 As soon as that happens, the crowd roar. We also have, though, around this period, another thing that gets the crowd up and going... For Vip Boy Makes a Break. Vip Boy! Vip Boy! Vip, Vip Boy! Vip... It's fantastic. He just... Again, the phrase is, he has a crack. He does have a crack. Have you ever seen that... And you're going to see where this is going, and so do all listeners. Have you ever seen that YouTube video called um, Longest Yeah Boy Ever? Yes. Should we try Longest Vip, Vip Boy Ever? Boy. No. Vip um, Boy... So, yeah, Vitboy has a crack, does brilliantly, yeah. and I think they maybe have two breaks around the same time, and the crowd really start to get behind them, and they're a bit like, oh, they haven't come here to fall over, you know? They, they're they not necessarily going to win, but they really get behind this team who have come to play some rugby. Yes. To, you know, the thing I have in my notes is that Boy is a baller, and he <laughs> comes to ball. He's a lot of things. Ball is maybe a stretch, but he's a legend. I can tell you that much. So then, maybe having missed a drop goal on a penalty that was a long way out between the posts. Then, up steps Titus yeah, the fullback, who goes for the longest drop goal you will see this side of wherever he isn't. What's mad about that? He catches it about 60 metres out from the try line. He looks like he's just dropped the ball. Like, I was thinking, like, what the hell is he doing? Why is he just dropping the ball? And then he swings it. It's like, oh, wait, that all looked accidental. And I had to kind of go back and watch it again. Like, no, 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 he's deliberately going for a drop kick there. Like, he's trying to score three points. I just can't see how that would cross anyone's mind. And I loved it. he's so close. Unbelievable. Like, it fades just wide. To say he's completely in the corner on the halfway line. Like I almost nails it, crosses, it. As it crosses the in-goal area, yeah. it sails across the face of the post. Like obviously a bit late because it's, you know it's behind the post at this point, but it does eventually like intersect with the area where the posts are. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's how close he is. It's amazing. It's a really amazing strike, and he deserved points for it. Mm. He deserved like two points for it. You know, sure, for, yeah, just for for effort for being really close. Yeah, range. yeah. Like in basketball. Yeah, but in basketball you don't get points if you miss. No, you do. But, oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. We should watch some basketball back when we do that. We should, just to just yeah. verify that. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. we maybe watch every basketball game ever. No, that's a bit much. Okay. Should we watch, bigger season of the NBA? All right, all right. What about 1999? 1999 NBA. So yeah, can fit because we have with, that like, video game. We have the video it, game. With that the Hornets, where, like, got Charlotte Hornets. yeah when I bought a PS1 to play Journal-Amery Rugby and it came with a copy of NBA 1999. Yeah, yeah. I of yeah. the Hornets on my team. Yeah. I don't know if they're real, but... The, I can't remember who I played as, but they had a player called Corbin, and I was really <laughs> yeah, into that. This. Yeah. They were all well tall. It was incredible, yeah, yeah, even yeah. on video games. Yeah, so we're doing the 1999 NBA. We're doing yeah. the 1987 Premiership. Yeah. We're doing the 2006 African qualifying yeah, for the yeah. Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Um, Reese Witherspoon. We're doing Reese Witherspoon movies. We're doing all the Rugby League World Cups. Yeah. And um, we're doing like some under-20s games. Yeah, doing loads of stuff. All right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. You'll never run out of content on the Squidge channel. <laughs> oh, I'm going to die someday. Yeah, um, so, yeah, Laupsoe misses this incredible drop goal. Laupsoe a fascinating international career where he wins 10 caps, but plays in two World Cups. Oh, wow. Fancy Weird that. career. Weird career. I feel like I've heard his name before. Yeah, he played in 2011. Um, Losper. But... Oh, really? He played in 2011. But Right, TC Losper, yeah. Yeah. I remember him being under that name. Yeah, that, that rings a bell. That rings a bell. Yeah, fascinating player Yeah, in this game, but probably doesn't play for the rest of the tournament. Who knows? We'll find out no. later on. But yeah, interesting guy. Attempts that drop goal. Looks accidental. Extremely deliberate. I then just have a written fight <laughs> with, like, five exclamation points after that. <laughs> yes. Really weird fight. One because... of these games where you don't think the stakes are high enough to be a fight. Yeah, exactly. Because like... the camera cuts away for ages. Like, just after a, a line-out that was, bl- like, reset. Mm. You know, and you just think, oh, okay, it's one of those. We'll just watch the kick that got us to this place. You know, and then suddenly everyone's swinging for each other. Islander 19 nil up. Like, it's not a game where you start a fight. Yeah, very strange one. I'm not really sure what was going on, but yeah, pretty uneventful fight And the end. No one gets sent off. Yeah, I have Marcus Horan that was shit written down, but I didn't know what that was. Because he goes on his own. He runs, it runs this really weird line where he goes completely on his own, just neglects the rest of his team, and Jacques Berger gets a jackal penalty off it. Yes. Yes, completely. Isolates himself completely. Yeah. And I think it's a big moment of maybe getting momentum. Yeah. I think it's that and there's two breaks. and slowly Showing going, that like, they can physically match them. Yeah, and defensively as well. Like, they exploit the, the little like individual moments of not being the smartest. Yeah. That they can take them, they can take the chances and they can kind of get back in the game. And I think that's one of those huge things. Yeah. And also, horror and that was shit sounds like a quote from a One Direction let it be. <laughs> yeah, Mike Phillips would have said that. Yeah. But that's the penalty that leads to the first real opportunity at points in the game, on the stroke of half time, Vessels goes for it from 40 metres, and he nails it. And you think, good, I'm glad Namibia are on the board. Yeah, well-deserved. Absolutely well-deserved. As I say, they've shown that they've resisted the Irish first onslaught. They've scored three tries early on. And yeah. they've gone, you know what? We're not going to roll over and die. Because usually these hammerings don't go that way. Usually, the humour of the opposition early on and then they roll over and die, rather than the other way yeah. around. Like, Namibia weren't trying for the first 30 minutes. They're like, yeah, we're just saving it all <laughs> for later. <laughs> he's finally, it's taken him 40 minutes, but much like the Avengers game on PS4, he's finally loaded. Yes, yes. And well done to him. So the, the score at halftime is 20 points to three to yep. Ireland. And you know what? That seems a fairly reasonable reflection of how yeah, that half has yeah. gone. So second half starts. Very first note I have written down is bod skins a man, hickey drops it, which yep. could apply to anything. I have hickey, not sticky. It and would. also it's not slicky. We'll work with that. We'll work yeah. with that. We'll we'll think about better ways of phrasing that potentially, but I like Maybe. it. Berger puts another great shot on Horan. Mm. And again, it's another one of those moments. Jacques Berger really starts to come into his own from about half an hour onwards. good, isn't it? Because the thing about Jacques Berger is he's known to be one of the best legal tacklers in rugby. Yes. Like, all the tackles he made, you rarely see him give penalties away. He's a body-on-the-line kind of guy, a great leader, but he's just such a cool head, is the thing that stands out about him most. And you can really see that in this game, the maturity of him. There's a point in the second half where Jacques Berger takes a blow to the head and nowadays would have gone off. Yeah. And it's... He did go off the mud at one point. Yeah. I can't say that he's concussed for certain, Mm. but he takes a blow to the head and he should have been HIA'd, with what we know nowadays. Yeah. But Jacques Berger is maybe the only player that I kind of look at and go... You know what? I'm okay with you playing on. There's something about the way that he played and the way that he didn't give a shit about his own body. Yeah. You know, I remember like games where he played for Saracens where he would like almost break his ribs. Yeah. You know, and then for Namibian in the it's fascinating next because, few because World you think Cups. of a player like that, and what comes to mind is like a Lewis Moody or someone. Yeah, yeah. Who is just an absolute madman, or even like a Liam Williams, for instance, mm. who is nuts. Right, Schachberger is so calm in everything he does. Yeah. And there's a real sense of just accountability that comes with Jacques Yeah, Berger, yeah. Of just like, you know what, you're in safe hands. Yeah, yeah. He also has like a proper like 50 metre run off the ball as well, which you never see. Weird, isn't I it? remember him getting man of the match for Saracens on like a European semi-final. Mm-hmm. And the commentator, I think it was Graeme Simmons, the interviewer, asking him the first question was there was this egg shaped thing out there? Did you touch it at all? And he went, "Yeah, I had a little carry in the first half, and then I think I did a pass in the second half." <laughs> I think that was the final, you know, was it uh, the final? Because I seem to remember that game was like the earliest I've ever seen a man in the match given because Stuart Barnes gave it on like sixty eight minutes or something. Wow, ridiculously early as he went off, it, like injured. But it was like, yeah. well, this is a one horse race. Like he's so clearly man of the match. And you're right, like sometimes he would do it without touching the ball or touching the ball once in a game just because his impact was such just without the ball and he took so much pride in those really simple jobs yeah um what made him such a great player and so seeing him do that do his usual stuff but also having a nice run with the ball i enjoyed. i enjoyed, yes. I enjoyed yeah. that the fact he did those before he got the captaincy is what yeah, i love like yeah. you look at him and go he's such an obvious candidate to take the captaincy later on and he also wasn't even the player that's playing at a higher level no you know like he was playing in the pro d diet at this level Guardian, which is kind of equivalent it. to a lot of yeah. them God, he was excellent. And this is kind of, I think, a big standing up and a big kind of announcement of, here I am, I'm here to stay. I love my country. I love Namibia. And I will tackle my guts out for any team, any set of teammates alongside me. Yes. There's one point where it just a weird grubber kick through. That um, is terrible. Which is terrible. That is terrible. And he has a brilliant game of wise, but he does a terrible kick as a bad option. <laughs> what I love about that kick is he sends it through. It's like on the 22. Mm. He's got a handful of players outside him. I think he's got Van Sale outside him. And on the wing, crucially, he has Hugo Horn, who, see- <laughs> who the hooker, Hugo Horn, who sees the kick go in, looks at the ball and goes, fuck that. <laughs> Yes. And just does not run after it at all. I love that there was a moment where we both assumed that our audience wouldn't know who Hugo Horn is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this podcast is so niche, as yes, you mentioned. it certainly is. But yeah, so Namibia do start to slow everything down. Mm. Like, they're very deliberate in the way that they do everything. They're extremely cautious that if Ireland get more momentum, they will run away with this game. And they're really smart in the way that they play kind of the tempo of it. Mm. But there is this one issue that creeps in. The longer the game goes on, the more dominant Ireland's Scrum becomes. Yeah. And maybe you keep the same props on, but from about 45 minutes onwards, they really tire. Yeah. And before that, they weren't doing great, but mm. they were able to retain their own ball and they were kind of just about getting away with it. The longer the game goes on, the more and more dominant Ireland became, to the point in which they were just blowing them off their own ball constantly. And there's, you say this is an issue, and you know what? You're right. It really does become an issue because I'm going to say something, and I really hope it's not controversial here. I hope it's something you, could, you can get behind me or at least understand where I'm coming from. I like rugby. Oh no, I like. We all know what this means. I like rugby. Okay, look, kill me for saying that. Boot me off the podcast if you have to. Mm. I stand by that opinion. I like rugby. Okay. One thing I like about rugby is, um, I don't know, the, the tries that go on, the tries do that you? are scored. Do you yeah, like tries? Like oh yeah, you like tries, do you? And do you know what I really like about the try? It's when somebody, an individual, a human, sometimes mm-hmm. dog, when a player crosses that 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 little try line, that white line, and puts the ball on the floor. I really like that. And this imposter in here, Joël Juge, the referee from France. Yes. Can we have a word about Joël Juge? Yes, if we must. So I just want to pause your tirade to talk about Joël Juge, who, yes, is... So now went on to become better known, I think, as a refereeing administrator, mm-hmm. went on to be in charge of French referees, it, and then in charge of World Rugby's referees, which he's been in charge of for a few years now. So he's one of the big commissioning people for refereeing at World Rugby. Okay. Yeah. But he also had a playing career before this. Oh, did he? He was Colombier's backup nine to Fabien Gauthier no in his way. playing career. No way. No way. That's mad. And you can see how that probably drives a man crazy. Yeah. Oh, it drives yeah. him to want to become a control freak referee. They've, they've both like, gone in completely different directions. Yep. Both massive control freaks, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you're caught behind one of the best players in the world, who is literally also Fabian Galtier in that level of driven and determined and not wanting to give anything to Oh, yeah, he's else. a nutter. Yeah. yeah. And so he was, yeah, caught for Colomier, second choice to Fabian Galtier. so interesting. Um, And it led him to not only become a control freak, he becomes a referee, but to become the head of refereeing Mm. at World Rugby. Telling people how to tell people to do things. Yeah. Like, that is a... another level of frustration that you are taking out that's there. That's mad. And he also looks like he loves mountain bikes. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll get behind that. He does. He looks like he's got that sort of, like, fitness, but, like, not one show off about it, lads, but, like, love to go mountain biking on the weekend. Never seen kind of without thing. cycling shorts on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, one of those yeah. wankers that's full Lycra. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, point is, it gives a penalty try yes. to Ireland. Not fair, not on, not good, not cool, Joel. Not cool, but... Yeah, I think it's does it, he goes very early with the penalty try as well. He does. Second if, scrum. If I were the kind of person who liked penalty tries, I would say he was correct. He goes second scrum, and he goes about five or six metres out from the try line. Yeah. <laughs> the moment that maybe you start to infringe, he goes, no, nah, I'm going here. Yeah. I'm not waiting any longer. I've had enough. I want to give a penalty try, bro, because I love control. Yeah. God, Joel. <laughs> you bloody phony. But yeah, there's, there's Ireland's kind of big momentum point at the yeah. start of the second half. So that's in the 48th minute. And it puts them to 27 free. And you think, oh, they're in control of this game. This is kind of dead now. That's kind of killed the game. That's a bonus point try. You kind of think that's it. And then a few things happen. One is Lasper accidentally invents the crossfield bomb. <laughs> Where he goes to put up an up and under. And it goes so badly, it goes sideways. <laughs> and he accidentally invents a, a tactic that will give Hondre Pollard a career. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing is, though what hundred Pollard likes. it's like he kicks those to chess and colby all day yeah fucking lost, but kicks them to vit boy <laughs> oh, man there's no getting away from vit boy no gordon darcy drops it part of his like really <laughs> weird game yeah. that darcy has where like you can tell he's talented you can tell he's a good player but he's having a bad day like at one point he picks a really lovely line and just drops it under no pressure yeah um at one point he times his fast brilliantly and the other player drops it because it's a shit pass around his ankles yeah. <laughs> You know, he throws a ball, it's never on, and it's like an absolute perler. but it would have gone to the other day, you know. Yeah, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you there. There's a point where I don't. I didn't remember this, but now I've written it down, I've just remembered it. I've got a point in my notes where I've written it down. Vitboy steps in at 10 and calls the set move, Dummy. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> he stands in, and like, proper like, gestures to his backline, like, yeah, set something up, get loads of runners off me, in it, Like, and then catches the ball, and then does not even do as much as look at the players outside him, just <laughs> dummies the ball, and just runs back where the ball came from. Mate, and clearly, he'd, he'd said to somebody, I'm gonna dummy it. That is deception. It certainly is. You think he's gonna pass, he's not, because, one, two, three, he's, he's a bit boring. boy! What but it's, it's that thing of like he has not looked where the space is. No, He's just of course gone, not. I just want to. I just want to have a crack. <laughs> <laughs> he loves to have a crack. He loves to have a crack. Oh, good old Vip Boy, so much entertainment provided. So this is yeah, Namibia starting to get more and more in the game. They start kicking really well. Yeah. I think in this period, Vip Boy is completely on it. He's smashing everything. He's running. <laughs> He's just wherever he goes. Crack. He's constantly having a crack. Namibia at one point have a penalty that they is very kickable. They had to go for the try instead. Mm. I think we can really get back into this. You know they're. So 15 points behind, that's doable. That's yeah. doable, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, good on them. Ambitious. Um, and at one point, despite the fact the only thing that's going badly for them at this point, the momentum started to swing, but the scrum is still on top. Whenever yes. they get a scrum, it's going one way only. Indeed. And at that point, the commentator says, one of the least impressive things about I- this Irish has been the scrummaging, and I think Argentina will really target them there. No, no. And then, to his credit, Murray Mech said, goes, no, actually, the scrum's going really yeah, well. yeah. No, you're spot on. But as you say, like a lot of the territory is in the Irish twenty two, you know, yeah. like that is where the game is being played. And then yeah, that Jack Berger kick happens. Yes. Ireland force it for a twenty two dropout. And then you know what? You say Rog doesn't have bad games. He certainly has bad moments. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The thing the thing that's surprising about this, I'm seeing this for the first time. This hasn't been clipped up by Ruddy Darty yet and put on his YouTube <laughs> this twenty two drop out. Oh, There's still like six moments of a being shit. It's he so shit, this. And like, O'Gara, I think, generally has a good game. Yeah, He right? yeah. manages the game brilliantly. But this 22 dropout, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> he essentially drops the ball on its point and then just kicks it perfectly straight. So it goes, like, five metres and it's perfectly about chest height for the Namibians to catch. Yep. And that they do, and they take the ball in. And they set up a really good attacking platform. Yeah, they set up a g- lovely stuff. It's sort of similar to the Japanese set of structure we were talking about earlier where they have a fly-off sort 50 metres away from the ruck yeah. and then everyone else is 30 metres away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, they have just the 10, they have just vessels stood in at the kind of traditional first receiver position. Then he's got to throw like a 30-metre mispass to get to the second receiver. <laughs> like, he's got no one near him. And Ireland quite cleverly go, well, hold on, we'll just mark all of this space where there's nobody because there's no way he's getting it wide. But what's quite important here is... The lads who look at it and go like, well, we'll, we'll mark the space they're clearly not going to being wide. The two lads who do that are obviously Marcus Horan and John Hayes, the two props. <laughs> and they just go, nah, I'm not running over yeah, there. I'm, I'm just th- going to stand here and watch they these go, guys. Okay, the intercept's on, but I don't want it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm we'll not just, running 80 metres. We'll just stay here because realistically, they're not They're not going to come this way. No, they're just going to, at best, they're going to throw a wide ball. It'll be in the air so long. Like, I don't know, like Hickey or someone will step in and smash yeah, them. Trimble, yeah. whoever's out there. Who cares? It'll be fine. Yeah, It'll be fine. But the thing that they don't realise is that the man in front of them that's lingering on the wide outside, waiting, ready to, waiting primed, ready to tear through them. Winding do, himself up. Winding himself up, ready to burn down the Irish Empire. He is stood there. Finger on the button, waiting for the three to turn to a two to start to fade into a one so he can get an extra speed boost as he presses the button to accelerate. And that man is... VITBOY! <laughs> boy gets the ball. He explodes onto the ball and bursts right through. It's a hell of a line. We've had a laugh about VITBOY. This is fucking incredible. Is class. He absolutely bursts through the Irish defence. They're all like, "What?" He sells what? John Hayes to the point where he does a one eighty to check whether where the pass has been thrown. Like with a dummy, he does a full one eighty to see where Vitboy is. And it's like, oh wait, he's
1: he's on the meter line.
0: John Hayes goes to the local shop. Yeah, he's in an Aldi down the road. Yeah, trying exactly. to find the dummy he's just been sold. And Marcus Horan just literally. Vip boy's two steps outside, and he goes, nah. <laughs> he's I'm not, I'm not, in, I'm not <laughs> yeah. having that. I'm not having good this. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. Try lines over there if you want it. He's <laughs> like, good one. Good line, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And Vip boy skins Horan, gets on the inside of Hayes, and like, outpaces like O'Callaghan on his way there. Yeah. And he oh. sees, coming across, Andrew Trimble, and he's like, nah, I'm stepping inside you, pal. And then just does his perfect right foot stab <laughs> off his, off his boot and then goes on the inside rides the tackle of Andrew Trimble and it's like this is so perfect but you're like you think he's going to make the line yeah. and Trimble stops him just an inch short oh it's a brilliant like, tackle considering it's on if BitBoy if Trimble's a, a split second later yeah. BitBoy is over yeah, BitBoy is yeah, scoring yeah. Yeah. it's like it's one of the greatest tackles in the history of the game by Andrew Trimble yeah, it's fantastic <laughs> it's so, especially when you consider it's on literally one of the best players it's on like, BitBoy yeah, it's, on, it's Bitboy, on BitBoy who pops it off the floor to Jacques Nivenhouse running what an angle he runs it's a great and also, supporting line pick up he makes as well yeah yeah it goes slightly to his side and you forgive him for dropping yeah. that yeah well, vitboy's never passed before no, exactly. give him break <laughs> it's the first time he's ever let go of the ball <laughs> so vitboy pops it off the floor <laughs> nice and haze takes it and he doesn't even dive over he just like strolls <laughs> over the line and yeah. takes it between the posts and he's just like oh what the hell's just happened <laughs> there <laughs> but it's a brilliant try I would, fantastic I would potentially argue it's the best try of the game I think um, so. I'd agree. I yeah, agree with that. I mean, O'Driscoll's actually the good, but okay. but he's not but a big boy, is he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then again, it's slightly dragged down by the fact that one of those is scored by one of the greatest players of all time, I said that by one yeah. of the best, greatest players of all time, and the other one is Brian O'Driscoll. Um, <laughs> so. What a try. Namibia back in the game and you can't help but cheer for them. You know, yeah. you're thinking like, well, they're up to 10 points now, 27-10, I think the score is now. And you just think, right, all the momentum's with them, that's so well deserved. And yeah. Nivenhouse in particular has worked his arse off. Like, in attack, in D, like, in the breakdown, he has been at the heart of everything that yeah, Namibia have done. absolutely. Deserves a try. Yeah, perfectly. Um, and it's just telling that one of those events are going to stick. He runs those support lines all day long yeah, eventually. Yeah. Someone's actually going to make the break and he's going to score off it. Vessels fully loaded, a lot like Herbie, kicks the conversion. <laughs> and Namibia suddenly with a renewed sense of vigor that you often see from Tier 2 nations when they score that try and they're like, yeah. even though it puts it to, you know, 27-10, they're still like, you know what, we're, in, we're kind of in this, we're kind yeah. of in this. And you expect that momentum to fade and it doesn't. Because it takes one big Irish tackle, maybe, to prevent that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. big dislodge of the ball, huge breakdown turner by Easterby, like, you know, something like that will kill the Namibian momentum and just doesn't come. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Because shortly afterwards, Namibia, as I said, start kicking really well. Vessels puts in a really good kick. Ireland eventually go to clear it. And who should the ball go into the hands of? But the one, the only... Vipboy! Boy. (laughs) He's everywhere, man. He's everywhere. He's not. He's very specifically in one zone. Yeah, he's he's on the wing. Yeah, he's constantly waiting on the same wing. (laughs) Yeah, but when he is, when he does have the ball there, he is everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he runs across the pitch, left, right, backwards, forwards, up and down. You know the lot. Backflips. There's loads. He's just in that one space a lot. Yeah, yeah. He has he has a bit of a counter attack. He gets tackled, doesn't he? And they they work on the other wing, where Heine Bock, who has clearly been watching his other winger doing a lot of work and gone like. Fancy about that. You know what I might do? I might have a crack. <laughs> and you know what? I have a crack he does. He grubbers the ball around Andrew Trimble on his wing. One of these things, when you see it from the first angle, the live angle, it looks like it goes into touch. Yeah. When you see it on the reverse angle and it clearly doesn't, you're know, what a phenomenal bit of go, skill. That's inch perfect. Yeah. Like grubs it, yeah, round Trimble and it bounces, I would say quite nicely, but I wouldn't say perfectly. No but the the waiting on the kick has been such that you can forgive the fact that it's extremely good bounce instead of perfect but what makes up for this is pete van this is an unbelievable piece of skill he pulls off mm. so off his left foot oh he wow yeah reaches out at full like full hamstring stretch <laughs> and kind of bends at the knee like lifts it over his knee to volley the ball into yeah. the distance It's unbelievable. Have a look at this try. I might post it or something because it's an unbelievable first try in football. Post them both. Post post. them both. Yeah, Yeah. why not? Unbelievable piece of skill to volley the ball or hack it downfield at full stretch and not break stride afterwards. That's the thing. That's the thing because he then starts kind of chasing the ball normally, Mm. and then he looks up and you can see it on the reverse angle. You can see the kind of from behind. You can see the look on his face as he looks up and clocks where Gervin Dempsey is. There's a specific moment where he realizes, "Oh, I'm in here." He or realizes, "Like this is on," yeah. and he suddenly goes in. He goes from like that pretty quick run that T teams yeah. do when chasing the ball because you know you've got to adjust and like when something comes into a full on sprint instantly because he sees because Dempsey is just jogging across. The kick he has just done is essentially like a scissor kick or a bicycle kick in yeah. football, right? Yeah, which yeah. usually knocks a man off their feet. And it's the fact that he stayed balanced and he yeah. stayed on his feet and gone. Oh no, I can sprint here, and he he knows that he has to work hard for about six or seven seconds. Yeah. And he is scoring. Yeah. And you're right. He skins Dempsey on the inside. Dempsey is, but Dempsey is jogging. Dempsey has no idea he's yeah. there until the last second. Yeah. 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 I think again, he was stunned by how well those kicks have come off. Yeah. Right? Because yeah, yeah. They're both so, so, ambitious. And yet fans say he gathers it an inch out. Yeah. Dives over. Brilliant finish. Great finish. And Great finish. Yeah. That's, that's a try of a team that just thoroughly deserved to be here. And you think like, Oh, this game's not what I expected it would be. No, no. Leaves the score. Well, I mean, once Vessels kicks the conversion, 17-27. Mm. And momentum margin. all with Namibia. Yeah. And the crowd completely with Namibia as well. A, like, amazing occasion to have come out to. So, like, they're giving it a proper crack. The, the thing that really got me on my feet was immediately after this try, to get the kickoff, Yonchi puts a mega boot downfield and yeah, Dennis yeah. Limi knocks it on. Yes. In half, and yeah. you go like, oh my god, they're completely panicking. They're so Ireland. Yeah, Ireland, as you said, look, rattled. As I said, it's that period of 10 minutes where Namibia are thoroughly the better team. And so, then, there's a moment shortly after this where Ireland have the ball about halfway, they regather it, thanks to, you know, their dominance at the scrum here. Yeah. And play gets quite loose, like everything breaks up a bit, everyone's kind of, in that way that happens when there's been a few drop balls in a row, yeah. and things start to get a bit loose, and everyone's mm-hmm. kind of in offside positions or all over the place positions. And one of the Irish players goes to throw a really ambitious pass out to the wing. Stringer. Stringer. Yeah. Spots the space on the wing, goes to throw it wide. And Nivenhouse comes in for the intercept, reaches up, and he just about gets his fingertips to it and can't quite catch it. Yeah. And there was a moment, I was watching this in the office and you were there next to me, where I made a l- really loud involuntary noise. Like, oh! Because I thought he was going to take it. It's one of those, it's a- 100% worth going for. Yeah. If he, he misses fr- it and they go the length, so be it. For a split second, I thought, even though I am watching this back, and even though I know Ireland win it, and even though I know how this goes, and maybe you haven't won a World Cup game before, never mind being Ireland, yeah, and we'd know if they did. Yes. Um, for a second, as that ball's in the air and you see Nivenhouse going for it, you do think, "Oh, this is it. This yeah. is he's in." Like if he takes yeah. that ball, at the very best he's being tackled in the twenty-two. Like yeah. he's and he's he's offloading to somebody quicker. You know, yeah yeah who could potentially score like that is a huge thing swing, swing moment. yeah that is literally that ball dips an inch lower and you know Namibia are looking at bringing this to a three point margin and they missed three shots of goal in the first half they did it's wild like, how close this game actually was there's a world in which this put Namibia six points up yeah with what like 15 minutes to go yeah and I don't know if they see it home from there but it's a I very it's different doubtful, game I think yeah. if Nivenhouse takes that yeah I think it's doubtful that they'd sit at home because Ireland have a strong bench, and they would have emptied that bench and gone right. Okay, let's sort this out now. But they do but. around this period anyway. Yeah, like they. So in between the two Namibia tries, which both were under four minutes apart, right? Mm. They bring on Jerry Flannery, they bring on Simon Best, they bring on Neil Best, mm. yeah. and then in the last two with two minutes to go, they bring on both Paddy Wallace and Jordan Murphy. Yes, but they bring on most of their replacement forwards in yeah. between the two Namibian tries to go like, okay, yeah. they've got momentum. We'll stem this here. We'll kill it. And it doesn't work. Yeah, it's insane that that could have just changed the complexion of Namibian rugby, like yeah. as, as we know it, because they would have that moment that they cling on to. Really, really interesting moment. That I didn't realise that was the moment that you did that big. Yeah. What do you think th- it was? I thought it was Vitboy's run for that try. Oh no, 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 no! It was the intercept attempt because yeah. up until then it's like, oh, this is interesting, and there it was almost a moment in which the rugby almost was an swung. upset. Morocco yeah. could have had that moment and they might have it in 2023. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They might do on future episodes of this series to be fair. They might they we'll might the rest of the game yeah. in this World Cup. But I can't wait for Morocco to play France this year. Yeah, that's going to be great, isn't it? Yeah, that it's a wild pass nearly intercepted but alas Ireland do get downfield. There's there are a couple of those moments that we said earlier didn't come. They start to come later on, like Easterby comes up with a brilliant turnover at one point in its half, just as they maybe it start to pile more pressure on. Trimble kicks what would be now fifty twenty two yeah which is super important the fact oh that it's brilliant played that it's so, a maturely, brilliant kick. yeah, yeah, and not got carried away because. I think it's common for wingers to just think, right, okay, I'll just... Very try and where's win that come from moment from Andrew Trimble. Yeah, huge momentum swing of that. Because I remember Andrew Trimble saying once that when he's low on confidence or he's like having a bad day, he likes to go and watch his highlights on YouTube. Yeah. And I wonder if that's a moment he's watched back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's brilliant by him. It's brilliant by him. Like, But there's all of these moments that come in the last 15 minutes come because Ireland know they're in a game. Yeah. And they're normally moments you pull when you're playing against South Africa or you're playing against, you know, that Francis, game they won by one point against you know, Scotland. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's those kind of moments we are like, oh, shit, we need to properly perform here and close this game out. Yeah. Like, O'Gara's it's, it's, kicking right. the corners, it's, Stringer's it's kind of playing fumble. It's ego thing of Trimble going, do I want a highlight reel moment where I break through and try and score, or do I just want to sensibly put us in the right area yeah. of the park? Well, so there's a, you know, Peter String was infamous for never going for the short side break himself, mm. and hence that try in the hunting yes. final, because everyone was like, well, he never does this, so we're safe to leave it undefended. Yeah. And he does it in this game. He has a crack. Didn't notice that. Yeah, he has a crack in the first 20 minutes, and he has a couple of cracks himself. Ah. Clearly learning from Vitboy. Clearly. Infectious. But you've got moments of Ireland kind of spend the first half, and, like, they are kicking for the corner rather than going for the points and so on. Yeah. And all of that changes in the last 15 minutes. Mm. Like, they are threatened and scared and yes. worried. yeah. Point as well, so Namibia kick it back to Ireland, it lands on the 10 metre line, Trimble catches it, and Murray Mexted proclaims, Try time. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, brilliant. It simply Thanks. wasn't, he just crashed it up. <laughs> Brian O'Driscoll also puts in a couple of really good kicks, but I think like two kicks that I think are just really intelligent decisions to kick, like from a game management point of view. Yeah, sort of thing you see Lenny Katow, Emily Scarrett doing nowadays, yes. like really good at just identifying actually the best option to kick now. I thought about both of those as I yeah. was watching Bod in this game. The adaptability from how he started it and he was really kind of full of energy and charge. Yeah, charged. yeah. Whereas then actually went, you know, no, I just know what to do. And every touch he made was quietly impactful. Yeah. Um, you're right. There was a couple of times he stuck it in the corner. He just he runs the right lines at all times. You know, he yeah, knows when yeah. to stay perfectly oh, square. There's, one where he actually—it's the one of these kicks where we mentioned Vitboy trying to step Trimble. Yeah, like that's from O'Driscoll sticking it through. Yeah, and Trimble smashing him to touch because he yeah. puts him in an impossible position and clearly he knows this winger. I know he is literally Vitboy, but also he is just running chaotically every time he gets he, the ball. He will run chaotically anywhere, and that might be to the touch. Long. Yeah, so yeah. I reckon Trimble can quite easily. Our odds are pretty such. good here. Yeah, like Andrew Trimble has quietly very good game. Just certainly does, but yeah, so. Bod gets another touch of the ball when they get into Namibian territory. And again, he is so square on this that he just frees a man outside him. Well so Vessels puts the ball out on the full. And that's, where it starts. that's a big turning point, I think. Mm. And I don't think Namibian necessarily would have won this game here. Sure. But you know, they were 10 points behind. Could have had another opportunity to score. Yeah. yeah. Like, they could have got a losing bonus point out of this, perhaps. Sure, yeah. If, but Vessels puts the ball out on the full from what could have been a really good kick if it wasn't. Yeah. And yeah, Ireland then take the territory, they end up with a scrum. Yeah. As I say, Bod runs so perfectly square on this that you can just free Dempsey on his outside and give him another little run up near the touchline, kind of the 15 metre line, I suppose. Yeah. And once again, Bod just knows exactly where to go, comes round the corner, catches the ball squarely off his chest, runs perfectly straight, lifts up on his outside, and Joe Flannery has a walk-in. Uh, or so it seems. Ooh, so it yeah. seems.
1: Ooh. At first. On,
0: the, on first viewing, it looks like he has a walk-in. It's lovely. He's just double involvement, involved two phases in a row, same as his own try. Yeah. And both times, he just gives the perfect pass. Both of them, again, as I mentioned, at that moment, which you think, oh, he's going to be selfish. Brian O'Driscoll going to do something, try to yeah. do something magic. So they commit to him. Really crucial moment. As I say, the, when you look at this game, Right? This game is really level other than Ronan O'Gara and Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah. They are... Ireland have two game-breaking players who are very different kinds of players, different kinds of game-breakers. And you think maybe because they had the scrum anyway, maybe they would have seen it through if they had like, you know, <laughs> Fergus McFadden at <the> 13 instead. <laughs> but so much of it comes down to two tries, Brian O'Driscoll creates one from Ronan O'Gara. Mm. And if you take those out, Morocco have just won the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Unbelievable touches by O'Driscoll. Brilliant. To, absolutely uh, that try brilliant. For Flannery, Who... I would say finishes it well, because the try is given. Yes. But... Then they cut to the other angle. And suddenly, it looks like he grounds the ball short of the line, then it goes, then rolls over the line, at which point he's in touch. Yeah. And... It's I don't really think that try would be given handles. nowadays. I think the That's TMO it. would step in yeah. and say actually no, he's That in touch, said though, or held up. with the protocol of on-field decisions, I feel like it probably wouldn't be overturned. I don't know. Really difficult to Really tell tricky them. one, really T- tricky. Tough one to be a referee. I understand or a TMO. the referee going with his gut instinct. And yes. It. Exactly. So I think therefore it's the correct decision. Sure. But yeah, I mean, fair play Ireland really had to reach to get that one out of the bag. Yeah. Uh, that try, but a bod moment of brilliance is worth a lot. Yes. Um, in these games where you've, you've got a scare on your hands. Unfortunately, like, that try comes in 76 minutes. For some reason, the referee keeps playing twice beyond the 80 minutes. But my one big note from the end is, give it to Vip Boy. And Namibia do not do this. No, they do not. Interestingly as well, Vessels does kick the ball out early. Yes. Before the 80 minutes you cross, he kicks the ball out. But the thing is, it set the clock at 80 minutes. The yeah. clock... You know, he was on like 81 minutes and he was like... So he kicks the ball out in his own 22 I don't sideways. blame him, but I'm still going to mention him in the dick of the day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he's earned it. Exactly. So the game comes to a close. Ireland Eventually. win 32-17. <sighs> Sigh of relief if you're an Irish fan. Yes. I mean, Eddie O'Sullivan comes out afterwards and just says, yeah, we were shit. Yeah. <laughs> like he says, I think that's the worst we've played in a very long time. Mm. Like lots of errors and Fair Play to Namibia, they, you know, got on top of us. Yeah. Brilliant performance by Namibia. I think... I went into the first sort of twenty minutes of this and went, Oh, this Namibia team are gonna be like one of those nineteen eighty seven teams where we just laugh at them the whole time and go like, Oh my yeah, god, the rules yeah. so shit. Like this is incredible. Yeah. Like I went into the game thinking that for the first 20 minutes and I was so ready to take the piss out of them. But this is remembered. Bizarrely, as Namibia's best ever Rugby World Cup performance. It's one of them, yeah. Certainly yeah. up there. Like I like, watched. So there's a thing. Oh, the World Total Rugby, yeah, yes, yeah, that they did on it, and there's a really well, engagingly recounted story by one of the Namibian coaches, mm. where he talks about, oh well, we were playing quite well, so the French crowd, uh, they have this chant that goes "Aller les bleus" uh, because <laughs> France play in blue, and at one point. Uh, fun fact, we were playing in blue in that What? Game, and at one point, when we'd made a few breaks and scored some tries, they thought, you know what? We see Ireland win a lot. I would cheer for the underdog. And <laughs> they started chanting, Alele, Bleu for Namibia. That's, re- <laughs> That's genuinely very good. Fair play. Fair play yeah. to the French crowd. Yeah. Good on him. Well-told anecdote. Yeah, it was really well-told anecdote. Yeah. But yeah, and they said, like, this is gone down as one of the kind of great games in Namibian rugby World Cup history. Yeah. And you know what? Good on them. I think they interviewed Jacques Berger in that as well and a couple of other Namibian players. Of course they interviewed Jacques Berger. Jacques yeah. Berger was on Total Rugby every single week. Yeah, he was. They brought him out and they were like, so what did Namibia think of the Six Nations this thing year? thing is, when I think of Total Rugby, and I'm not joking here, I genuinely think of a time they showed the highlights of Morocco. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I wish I'd paid more attention and cheered for them a little bit. I harder. wish we'd known they were our favourite team ever. I know. Real shame, that. But yeah, brilliant performance by Namibia, and I think they deserve the glory for the 17 points they got. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And it's a shame they didn't finish close out. I... I wish Fannery's try had been disallowed so that the scoreboard could have shown what a yeah you I know, know what you reflected mean. the game a bit better. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Can't wait to see what they do in the rest of this tournament. Yeah. I, I think whatever they do, they've given a really good account for themselves in the first game. Whatever happens against France, you know, as long as they go out and try to score a couple of tries or whatever, I'd be really excited to see that yeah. and against Argentina and the game against Georgia as well will we'll, we'll presumably we'll be close. I don't know. These all happened 16 years ago, but <laughs> I've not seen them. So I can't wait to see these. So Absolutely. I'd really, really excited to see more of Namibia. So, on that note, man of the match, dick of the day. Yeah, where do you want to start? We, we're coming to us two hours on Ireland v Namibia. Worth what it. a podcast. So we start man of the match? Yes. I think this is actually a really difficult one to choose. Really difficult one. The obvious player I have written down is Brian O'Driscoll. Yep. Because I think the reason why Ireland win the game, as you said, ultimately, is because of him and Rog. Yeah. But Brian O'Driscoll does score a try and has a direct involvement in sort of two or three others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which you can't ignore. I think Jacques Berger is brilliant. He has a, such a good game for Namibia. Yeah. And as I say, you can see why he goes on to become the player that he becomes. But my man of the match is Jacques Nivenhaus. Yeah, yeah. He was absolutely everywhere. Deserved his try. Made an unbelievable amount of tackles. Carries. I think everything he did was impactful. So yes. pound for pound, I would say, is the best player on the field. I it's hard to argue with that it's hard to argue with anything you've said there I think that yeah as you say Brian O'Driscoll was in the first half at half time I think we well, just nailed on Brian O'Driscoll mm. and then the game changes massively yes, I was and like exactly the last the 10 minutes of half of the first half and the second half changes enormously Brian O'Driscoll is absolutely brilliant I think Donald O'Callaghan has a quietly really good game agreed he always does yeah Always, like, flew under the radar a bit because he had O'Connell next to him. He's always at least, like, the one below your Man of the Match nominations. Like, yeah, the, the, yeah. The tier below that. So, yeah, I thought he was he was excellent and was mm. kind of in contention for me. I think, ultimately, the Irish scrum helps them get on top. It's true. Um, so, I think you've got to mention John Hayes. Yeah. And Marcus Horne has a shit game around the park, so you kind of leave him out of it. Yeah. But, you know what? Fair enough. Hayes is a good shout, though. even yeah. though he by- Um But I think, you, again, you come to that Namibia team. You come to... We mentioned him as a joke, but Fitboy is excellent. He's great. Like, <laughs> yes, he became, you know, he kind of became like a, a, a meme. The first time talking, we saw but... Superboot, we both gave him man of the match. Yeah. Just saying. And the thing about Fitboy is genuine. he has a cutting edge to that Namibia team mm. that I don't think I'm expecting to face. Yeah, a player yeah. who is that level of dangerous. Though, because he does so much stupid shit the first few times he gets the ball that when he does get it in space, he does something incredible. Yeah. But because they don't see it coming. He catches them off guard. And, like, for a player that never played professional rugby, like, he's excellent. It's I'm great. surprised no one went. That's a potential game-breaker there. Yeah. Just on a few breaks he makes. Yeah. So he's really in contention for me, and I'm very tempted to give it to him. Yeah. But I, I not think, blame you. honestly, for me, it's between Brian and Driscoll, but I think I'm going to agree on Jacques Nivenhouse. Yeah. I'm going he's, to agree. Yeah. He's, like, he's, he's I think excellent. he's everywhere. One of the games of his life. Yeah. Considering the opposition, and not only that, but the opposite back row he was against. Like, punching above his weight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. And dick of the day. Well, I've got a few written down here. I mean, one of them is Vitboy for that uh, <laughs> incredible goose step attempt, which went hilariously for him. One of them is Vessels for kicking the ball out early. Um, yes. Has to be mentioned. Look, in he was loading for the next game already. He was trying to get it done. <laughs> I did have written down Dennis Hickey, but I feel like in yeah. light like what you are saying earlier about him probably being concussed, no. And Ron Nogara as well for his dropout attempt is hilarious. <laughs> yes, of but... Dick of the day, it can't be anyone but Murray Mexted. <laughs> yep. We're unanimously agreed here. Yeah. I, I decided it was Murray Mexted really early on, and I have stuck with it completely. The other commentator for telling that fish and chip John boring Taylor anecdote, yeah. John Taylor, thank you, for telling that anecdote about getting stuck eating fish and chips <laughs> was very, very boring, along with him saying the thing about the Irish scrum being shit when yeah. they were dominating them, and for talking over the Nubian anthem. I'm yes. talking myself into giving it to him, but no, Murray Mexted for generally being ignorant and lazy, and a bit of a bellend. While well, we're here, by the way, before we go, it is written on the Wikipedia page for this game that Vitboy was the official man of the match. Yes! So, he still gets a vote out of this, so it's, that's oh, still mate. important. Vitboy. The official man of the match. So the greatest. Clearly, clearly left a mark during this game. The greatest. Yeah. Yeah, so, that brings us through with that unanimous Murray Mexted, Jacques Nivenhouse, loving or hating, to the end of yet another rugby rugby. Do you like rugby anymore? I'm a little bit older than when we started this pod, but I would say that I'm on my way to liking rugby. Oh, that's excellent. That's what we want to hear. Would you like some more rugby? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love some more rugby. Another course of rugby. Or curse of rugby, I'd like an education. You'd you'd love an education. So, firstly, I'm going to, yeah, play the Namibian Anthem when we finish. And then, I'm going to let you, next week, join us again to watch the rugby match, Argentina versus Georgia from 2007. Sounds like a good one. Argentina back after their their big win, dramatically. Georgia playing their first game of the tournament. It's a very exciting one. And we'll see you next week for that. Forget the Six Nations is starting soon. No yeah, one gives this a promises shit. promises to be better. This is more interesting. This yeah. is more interesting. Come back for Georgia v. Argentina. Don't watch rugby. Listen to people talk about rugby from 16 years ago. Yeah, like Georgia, you know, like Georgia should be in the Six Nations. Yeah. Because... Corruption. And so, therefore, listen to Argentina, who also should be in the Six Nations, and it should still be Six. We'll see you then until. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,